What is happening, folks? Welcome to episode 136 of the 6-1 IndieCast. Mike here, and that's it. It's just me for now. <laughs> uh, I hope you are all doing well. Uh, why is it just me? Why am, why am I just a lonely boy today? Well, uh, we decided after PAX East and the showcase that we wanted to take a week off because uh turns out we're, we're very tired <laughs> it's, it's been a rough it's been a rough like well with the showcase it's been a rough like six months of hard work um well rough is putting it harshly it was a great time but there's been a lot of uh sleep deprivation and and malnutrition especially during pax east weekend and oh boy did it catch up with me personally uh, i don't know if you could tell I'm currently recovering from from the big sick, the Pax Plague. Not COVID, thankfully, just just normal Pax Plague. Um, so we definitely needed the week off. Um, but I didn't want to leave the podcast feed empty for a week. So what we have for you today are the eight developer conversations uh, featured during the Mini Indie Showcase 2023. In case you didn't catch the YouTube versions, we figured uh, we put them up as audio versions during one special episode of the 6-1 IndieCast to kind of put a little bow tie on our uh, showcase and PAX East coverage. And speaking of the showcase and PAX East coverage, of course, on Wednesday, March 22nd, we had our second mini indie showcase. It was a fantastic time. Uh, thank you all so much for the kind words and the reception. It is wild how much people uh, really uh, attach themselves to these incredible games. So uh, thank you so much for following the games, wishlisting the games, all that kind of stuff. That's what it's all about. It's about supporting the games and about supporting the indie scene. Uh, so again, seriously, thank you. In case you missed it, you could go check that out on 61indie.com slash showcase and youtube.com slash 61indie. Uh, then yeah, with PAX East, we had our three daily breakdown episodes. I think that, that totals like four and a half hours worth of podcasting. Uh, oh, and of course, we had the mini indie showcase post show, which was another three hours. So you got a lot of podcasts to catch up on if you haven't done so already. Uh, but yeah, we will be back with normal episodes of the 6-1 IndieCast next week, uh, live recording on April 6th on the YouTube channel. And then, uh, yeah, publishing everywhere the following Monday. Good talk about games, y'all. We're back. I mean, we never left, but, you know, back to normal? Whatever. Anyway, here are eight fantastic conversations, one after the other. Goodbye. Hello, and welcome to another Mini Indie Showcase developer conversation. Mike here, and today I'm with Orr from Gentle Giant Games. Orr, hello. How are you? Hi, Mike. I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good. No, well, thank you for, uh, well, not thank you for coming on here, but thank you for allowing us to show off Spiritfall. Fantastic. Spearfall looks so cool. Uh, I get, I got to play the demo a little bit, uh, probably a couple weeks ago during Next Fest. Um, man, it's just such a good time. It's so fun. Thank you. It's good to. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> or tell me a bit about Gentle Giant Games. Like, tell me your development story. Like, how long have you been developing games? Kind of what drew you to making games? Yeah. Um, so we founded the, the studio. Um, two years ago, but uh, we've been making games for 10 years. Wow. Um, we used to work in um, uh, in, a, in a mobile games uh, studio. And um, and we, we always love to make uh, action games. Um, and uh, after 10 years uh, making mobile games, we decided that we want to do something a bit different. 
Um, so we'll, <laughs> that's the vanilla in the story. We, we left our jobs and uh, the <laughs> studio. Uh, kind of the, the true heart of the indie yeah. spirit. <laughs> Funny enough, we, uh, myself and Kyle, we just talked to Johannes, who's developing Slope Crashers, who was also uh, a part of the showcase. And he had the exact same story. He was a mobile developer and then he decided to do his own thing and uh, get into Slope Crasher. So it's funny to hear kind of like the similar stories between all of this year's uh, selections. Yeah. Well, yeah, um, I guess that brings you to Spiritfall. Can you tell folks what Spiritfall yeah. is? So Spiritfall is a 2D action roguelike inspired by platform fighters. Um, it's a, a blend between games like... Uh, uh, Hades and uh, maybe like Hollow Knight, State Aspire, and uh, uh, Smash, uh, Smash Brothers, or Brawlhalla. Um, um, yeah, all those are just like you just listed like <laughs> like five of the best games ever made. <laughs> yeah, I mean those are pretty impressive inspirations to draw from. Like, what what drew you to like? No, I guess we'll we'll get to the roguelike genre in a second, but like you just mentioned like Hades and Slay the Spire. Like were, are you just like personally like a big fan of those games? Was it something about like the mechanics of those games that really like wanted you like you want to take your hand at like trying something like that? Um yeah, so um when we started development in uh June twenty twenty one, um we were planning like what 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 would be our first game and uh we're really enjoying roguelikes like uh, Hades and platform fighters like Valhalla. And we thought it would be cool to create something that blends the two genres together. Um, so we started uh, uh, taking the best aspects of these games that we loved and enjoyed um, and um, and tried to, to see how we can um, create something new, blending those two, those things together, yeah. I, th- I think you did that. I, I it's I, something that drew us to Spiritfall right off the bat is that, yeah, like the, the Brawlhalla smash elements really do speak from the trailer. And like right off the bat, we're like, oh, this game is doing something interesting. Like this has not done been done before as far as we're aware of within games or the indie scene in general. Um, so, yeah, it's a really fascinating mashup. Actually, actually it was um, it was more hack and slashy. It was more. Oh, interesting. Towards, uh, yeah, towards that kind of area. And um, we tried to remove some of the platform fighting elements because we thought it would be, uh, it would make the game a bit less accessible for casual players. Um, mm. But eventually, as, as we progressed, we understood that we actually need to lean more into the depth of platform fighters. Uh, and we get to understand it a bit more when you... When you develop a game, you really get to know the mechanics and the reasons you build. Sure. So, uh, uh, so yeah, our challenge was to uh, to to see what mechanics in platform fighters could fit both the single player experience and also the added layer of uh, randomness that uh, that roguelikes have. So, yeah. yeah, and I I think you're in a good spot now with like you know, Smash Ultimate, like Smash Brothers Ultimate being like done and like nobody really, except for Brawlhalla, I think is like probably the most successful example of a platformer fighter, like finding its place within the, within games. But I feel like now is the time to like really jump into that genre 
And I, I do like genuinely like I'm not just saying this because you're part of the showcase or whatever, but like I genuinely I do think it's like really fun. Like I, I it feels great, which is what's really important for this kind of genre is the feel mm-hmm. of the games, the feel of the combat. And like you were saying, it is approachable. It's not like it's not too uh, there's not many barriers to to jump into Spiritfall, which is really great to to feel when you start a new game. Um, tell me about like the decisions you go roguelite like especially like being gentle giants like first big game after like jumping from mobile development you know roguelite it seems like a rogue and roguelite seems like a a very popular genre so like was it intimidating to try your hand in the rogue genre or were you just confident in the vision that you had Mm -hmm. um so we actually like we had like a really rough uh, idea of what the game would be when we started so um uh, we uh, Roguelike says the 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 benefit as a developer that um, you can create a lot of depth and randomness through the systems. Um, so when you get the systems ready, uh, you, you get um, a, a a good sense of what the game will be like in the in terms of like the roguelike uh, aspects of it. Um, mm-hmm. So that really helped us. Uh, I mean, when you're doing a big narrative game, you have to do like you have to make a, a ton of content to get uh, replay value. Um, yeah. And when you're doing roguelikes, you just have to fine tune the systems. It, it, not just; it takes a lot of hard work and time. But no, you said it. Yeah. That's it. That that's all it takes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I'm curious. Like, obviously, like yeah, that's the appeal on the development side. Do you think? that appeal is why it's so popular with audiences as well as just like kind of that replayability. Like, why do you think rogue likes and rogue likes are so massive nowadays? Yeah, there is a, there is a surplus of, uh, rogue likes. Um, I think that, um, one of the main reasons that I saw the turning point is Hades. Actually, I think it really popularized, popularized it. Got a lot I of agree. people, uh, to make rogue likes and rogue lights. And a lot of people to be introduced to the genre and understand that uh, um, uh, on the surface of it, if you don't, if you haven't played any roguelikes, it looks like like why would I want to replay the same levels again and again? And um, because they are run-based and because they are um, random, those procedural elements involved, it's really like unpredictable and uh, and it gives a lot of replayability. Uh, you never know the exact outcome of every interaction. Um, so that makes a repeated playthroughs uh, exciting and challenging. You can play it again and again, and every run will be unique. That's why I always, um, I was that person as well. Like I, my first roguelike or light was a uh, rogue legacy back on the PlayStation Vita. And I was just bad. I was so bad at the genre. Um, but I think like what you're saying, it took until Hades <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like I think it took until Hades for it to actually click with me. Um, and maybe it is like, you know, Hades has obviously like that, that the big narrative structure to it where you keep like be able to learn more about characters. And there is like a, a great sense of progression in like the weapon upgrades and whatnot. But um, yeah, I don't know. It just it took until Hades for it to click. And like, I'm so happy that now it did click because now I am very much enjoying mm-hmm. games like Spiritfall or even Rogue Legacy 2 is been a blast this year so far yeah and um, those games are really difficult so they, they are. really give you a chance to, yeah. to hone your skills and improve so yeah 
I think that's the thing. It's like I'm I'm typically not the most patient person in the world. So I think that's where like that challenge, like it, it took me a second to like say like, OK, I need to take a breath. Don't worry. Meg is Meg is still there at the at the end of the first level. It's fine. <laughs> like, um, yeah, I think it just it tests your patience in a good way, like in a positive yeah. way. <laughs> and even like it's kind of um, I always kind of harken roguelikes back to just kind of arcadey experiences like. Like, sure, why would I want to toss a quarter into an arcade machine if I'm just going to start from scratch again? And it's kind of the same sensation. I like that rogues are kind of like carrying the torch to like old school arcade experiences that aren't super popular in, in the year 2023. Yeah, I think that's the difference yeah. between roguelikes and roguelites. <clears throat> in roguelites, yeah. you have this progression and, uh, and permanent upgrades that can give you a sense of achievement and also progression. So for me, it's really important at least. Yeah, I agree. I like it's you kind of find reward in progression. Mm -hmm. So it's nice. I I obviously I I appreciate the like, okay, you died, start from scratch, like that hardcore arcadey kind of experience. But yeah, I think um, progression is more modern when it comes to like kind of core game mechanics Mm -hmm. and a little more approachable, I would say. But they both have such like a fascinating benefits, obviously, Um, kind of touching away from the gameplay side of things like something that's like so striking with Spearfall in addition to its gameplay is its visuals. So I, uh, I actually have been playing it on steam deck. It plays great on steam deck. I love it. Uh, and the colors just pop on screen. Like it very much reminds me of like a Saturday morning cartoon. Um, what drew you towards that kind of like very distinct, vibrant art direction? Um, so, we, each of us in the team, by the way, we're a team of five. Um, uh, maybe I'll tell you a bit about the team. <laughs> um, yeah, please. So I'm the programmer and my co-founder is, uh, is the creative director and uh, game designer and art director. And <laughs> like, like every indie developer, he does a lot of uh, things. Uh, not enough. <laughs> not in a way. I can't list all of them. We don't have enough time, I guess. <laughs> Um, and we also have um, um, our concept artist and uh, animator and the community manager. Um, so they're all doing amazing work. They're all super, super talented. We're really lucky to have them. Uh, but what, what I want to say is that um, each of us has his own approach to, uh, to coming up with a game concept. Uh, for me, it's more about like story and also making things uh, fit together, making them click. Um, Nadav, my co-founder, the, gen- the uh, creative director, is um, uh, he is he can he can hold a lot of things together, all the, the game inspirations <laughs> and also the art direction and all that. So it took us several iterations of concepts before we arrived at the. The story and the mechanic and the and the style and uh, until it all fit together, uh, but we always knew that we want to make something that is um, uh, vibrant, stylish, colorful. Um, you know, the, there are a lot of games, a lot of roguelikes that are very grim and dark, and it usually yeah. uh, really matches the, the how they play. They're usually difficult, uh, so. Um, having a, and you and you die all the time. Death is very prominent there, <laughs> so making the game cute with bright art style might convey that it is uh, an easier game 
uh, and give like a wrong impressions to to some of the players that are looking for this genre. But over time, there have been many other games, uh, roguelikes, that uh, show that this genre can be a bit more uh, colorful and be um, more accessible and less hardcore. Um, and that really gave us the confidence that that we can make this uh, also like colorful and vibrant. Um, and we also believe that it, it feels it uh, matches the tone of the game because um, spiritual is somewhere does. between serious and playful, uh, and also it matches with uh, platform fighters that are usually very colorful and vibrant. So, yeah, we knew we, we thought it yeah, would I, work well together. Yeah, I completely agree. Like that's something I did want to bring up is that like sometimes certain games will take themselves like a little too seriously. I would say. Um, but at the end of the day, it is a video game. It's meant to, it's like, obviously there are video games that are impactful yeah. and I've cried plenty of times playing certain narratives in video games. But um, at the end of the day, like some, most games should be fun. And like, yeah, I think like that vibrant uh, aesthetic and, and the visual language overall, like, like you were saying, it's very playful and it's very approachable. And it just really, as soon as you hit start on the menu, it just welcomes you in like with open arms, which is, uh, it's kind of a, tricky thing to nail nowadays and i think you guys really really did nail it granted i've only played the demo and i'm very excited to play the thank full you. thing but um so far it's yeah it's pretty damn fantastic thank you so by my final big question for you being so close to release how you feeling yeah so yeah we'll launch into early access in uh, april 3rd it's less than yep. a month away <laughs> And uh, yeah, I'm I'm scared, I'm worried, I'm stressed, uh, but I'm also very excited. Uh, it's my yeah. first game on Steam, so that's uh, that's a, a huge uh, thing for me. It was a dream for me to have a, a game on Steam, and I think the uh, the fact that we, we're getting a lot of positive feedbacks and we have a community going around the game is it also. It's also scary and exciting that it's a bit bigger than I thought it would be. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. Trying to, to relax yeah. <laughs> as well. <laughs> maybe on, well, I would say maybe on April 4th you can relax, but I'm sure you're going to be uh, panic watching a bunch yeah, of streams yeah. and whatnot, trying to fix a bunch <laughs> of things. Have, uh, um, we actually have a, a spreadsheet with our schedules where every day we have our tasks uh, laid up, lined up. And yeah. uh, in the week... Of the release, like a few days after the release, it's it's slotted in as like uh, panic and uh, mayhem. Uh, <laughs> nothing is scheduled. Yeah, that sounds yeah. like that sounds like game development. Yeah. You have to acknowledge those things. You have to to take. Oh yeah, you gotta embrace them. it. Yeah, I mean, if you see panic on the schedule, at least like you know you see yeah. it coming, and if you wake up one morning, you feel it. You see it on the schedule. It's like, oh okay, no, this is supposed to happen. We're on yeah, track. We're you on can, schedule. You can check the box next to the task. Yeah task done yeah. we'll we love checking boxes we're video game players we love that checking boxes or uh i don't want to keep you too long uh, I, i'm assuming it's pretty late over there yeah. where you are <laughs> compared to where i'm at so you have uh you have plenty of uh work on your plate so i'm gonna let you go but remind us when can people play it where can people play it and uh how can people Follow the game, follow the development, follow early access. Okay, so we're coming to Steam Early Access on April 3rd. Um, you can follow us on uh, on our website, gentlegiantgames.com, uh, Twitter, Facebook, your, your every uh, social media that uh, 
that suits you. And uh, also join our Discord server. We have uh, a vibrant community, some very cool fan out. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Yes, all those links will be in the description. Awesome. Um, and wishlist Spiritfall. Yeah, definitely. Wishlist is very important, please. <laughs> <laughs> or, or thank you so much for taking some time out of your day it was a pleasure talking to you thank you so much for allowing us to include spiritfall in the showcase um i, I think like you know it, again being such a vibrant take on the roguelite genre with like the mashup of genres that you were kind of describing um yeah it's definitely a, a standout in an already stellar lineup so uh i appreciate you and the team greatly thank, thank you. you yeah well, everyone, thank you for listening and thank you for watching the showcase. If you haven't watched the mini indie showcase, go check out 61indie.com slash showcase. You could take a glimpse at 33 remarkable indie games, including Spiritfall. And uh, yeah, until next time. Goodbye. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another mini indie showcase developer interview. Mike Townger here along with Kyle Stevenson. And today we are joined by Eric Johnson, producer over at Vertigo. The folks behind Cook Serve Forever. Eric, hello. How are you guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're doing great. Thanks for being here. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I could say along with Kyle, um, you know, seeing Cook Serve Forever being submitted for our showcase, we were both like, oh my God, yes, definitely. So seriously, thank <laughs> you for uh, coming on here to talk with us and being a part of the showcase this year. I really well, appreciate it. That's really kind of you to say. And, uh, you know, obviously we uh, are in a, uh, you know, a period, you know, whatever you want to call it, a stretch of the, you know, of, uh, of time in the gaming industry where we really, um, you know, these, these events are very important to us. Uh, uh, you know, our studios that, um, you know, maybe don't have an opportunity to partner up with, uh, you know, a publisher or go triple or, you know, or like, you know, we're not, we're certainly not a triple A, we're quite a boutique studio. And uh, we're just excited to get these kind of opportunities to put ourselves out there. We understand um, that as an indie, uh, you know, the interest comes and goes, right? Like it's almost sure. like a, it can be a flavor of the of the hour almost situation. And then additionally, um, I have a strong belief that uh, no matter how many people have heard of us, no one has heard of us. Mm. So it's an important, you know, approach to, you know, our marketing and our PR. So yeah. having you guys put this together, getting to coming across it and where I usually would come across, you know, worthy opportunities and festivals for us to pursue, <laughs> you know, and then we went from there. So we're really excited to get the, you know, the response from you guys and all the back and forth we've had since then. Sweet. Yeah, dude. Um, yeah. I mean, like before we get even get to the game, you just said something like that is like our, you said something that's like our mission statement with the showcase. It's like, no matter how many times a game, an indie has been shown, somebody will see it for the first time through us and the next showcase and the one after that. So like, yeah, I, there was always um, a bit of hesitation with a lot of the developers that were showcased this year saying like, they were very nervous that like they didn't have anything new to show or that they were being shown during IGN's uh, thing or the mix or so on and so forth. I said, Hey, we are going to have a unique viewer. At least one person is going to be new and unfamiliar with your game. And that is more than worth it for us. And from so, yeah. our side, we have to hit, uh, you know, folks 10, 12, 15 times with our, with our game, with our, you know, marketing, with our psychology of trying to say, Hey, do you, are you interested in this game? Do you, would you like to maybe take it at your toe dip in it in terms of looking at the store page, maybe wishlisting, et cetera. Yep. It takes a lot of effort. There is no, <laughs> is, man. I mean, there is a couple of games out there, you know, you'll see it every year, even this market where, you know, it's, it's, 
it's not necessarily a breeze. They did the work, right? They put in the work and they're getting great results because of that and stuff. And they're not necessarily pulling teeth for sales. A lot of us are pulling teeth right now. So it's a, it's a, it's a market where it's a, um, you know, you don't take anything for granted. You don't take a single sale for granted. You don't take a single eye, uh, set of eyeballs for granted for sure. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, uh, let's get into it. Can you tell me what cook surfer ever is for those who don't know? Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you guys about it today. We're getting really yeah. close to its early access release, which is coming up in quarter two of this year. Yeah. Um, we, uh, which we're almost into, obviously being it being that it's March. Cookster Forever is the fourth iteration. I wouldn't call it uh, the sequel, the the direct sequel, or anything to Cookster Delicious One, Two, and Three. Um, I'd say those were a little bit more in the line of direct sequels, even though we had pretty. Um, pretty intense mechanic, uh, overhauls, uh, by, but we still maintain the, I guess the, the core, so to speak, sure. this is stepping away a little bit from that core. And, uh, we're going out on a limb. We put our demo out on uh, steam next fest, um, last month, got a really good response, a lot of good response from new players specifically, which is what we're trying to address with cookster forever. Cookster of delicious three, really beloved beloved game by the community the, the hardcore folks that love us where we've been dubbed by some as the dark souls of cooking games um <laughs> which we we really enjoy that right but that but there's also there's two sides to that right and we really don't want um it's 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 a balance right with forever we we know we're not trying to take away the difficulty the challenge like the you know everything that people enjoyed with it but the learning curve is too steep and it has been on these games um and Three especially was criminal in this regard. Um, sure. It did not give a whole lot of like soft landing to get into the game. And so this is going to be a different kind of approach. This is more of a rhythmic mechanic. Um, you'll start feeling the rhythm and the, um, the tactile nature of cooking as you kind of proceed and get into the game with uh, different kinds of button and key presses and, and things like that. But for those who don't know anything at all, uh, we're a restaurant management series. Um, we've been doing this since 2013. Um, God bless fact, you guys for that. Incredible. Yeah, <laughs> in fact, before then, actually. But yeah, 2013, I believe, is Steam release. Um, so we're, spent, we're, we're kind of celebrating you know, 10th anniversary of CookServe 1, um, which was obviously just just a one man i mean not, i don't excuse me when i say obviously it's obvious to me of course because I've been <laughs> yeah of course. I, I don't mean to say this like oh everybody knows this no cook serve delicious one was just made by one person uh his name is is, is uh, moniker is chubb against aka david galindo he was the original designer of cook serve delicious one he brought me on cook serve two we brought on an art team as well uh cook serve three we added uh, voice actors full writing um and what, ha- what kind of happened with the series is in Cook Serve 2, we hired a couple of uh, guys to write our sort of just like inbox and emails that you would get throughout your campaign. That sure. You don't have to read it all. It's not, there's not really, there's not a single thing that you have to read to uh, accomplish the campaign or, or anything like that. They were just sort of side things. They hinted at a lot of things, though, a lot of weird things, strange things about the world that weren't quite like wait i thought we were in you know kind of present day i thought we were in my (laughs) you know kind of my you know my timeline so to speak um and we leaned into that with three and 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 what we did is we made it sort of this post-apocalyptic mad max food truck uh you know kind of simulator and that was a lot of fun right because we were able to kind of take what was sort of 
behind the curtain, so to speak. Only the hardcore fans that really dug into the emails knew anything about this kind of stuff. But they'd always say, you know, what about the blue war, you know, with the robots fighting robots? What about this and that? And so we brought that to life in three. And then in uh, in CookServe Forever, it actually takes that next leap into rebirth and regrowth and uh, sort of post post-apocalyptic uh okay. scenarios yeah what uh what makes the the restaurant cooking sim genre something that you guys are so intrinsically tied to what makes it fun for you to keep making new versions of it sure i feel like it's underserved like it's a really underserved um yeah. you know uh player base that are looking for these kind of games um it's hard to get it right i think i think mechanically um, and this is no no slam on any cooking games out there, but I think it's tough. I think it's really hard to make a fun um, loop, uh, gameplay yeah. loop uh, in, in a cooking game that makes you say, I want to keep coming back to this. Obviously, there's been some great successes. Overcooked is a great example. Um, there's other like hardcore sims, cooking simulator, right? Like um, mm-hmm. other kind of more specific uh, sims, like there's like uh, like brew pub and breweries you know sims now i'm a big fan of uh taco master back in the day on vita yep uh there's a one called lemon cake that's kind of a a cool one and then of course there's sort of off the wall ones like um pizza tower that came out recently has nothing to do necessarily with uh necessarily restaurant management uh up front but there's that food adjacent right exactly (laughs) um culinary arts so to speak so yeah it's it's really cool to see all those games but uh there's not a ton of them right there's not like this like mass uh you know uh, you know, uh, just a gluttony of of titles to choose from. So we understand that uh, first, what you know, our bread and butter is, and what has made our company, uh, you know, money. Um, we don't want to just ignore that. Uh, I think we have a nice marriage here with the Cook Serve series. We have other games in the pipeline that are not Cook Serve in this market. We're looking for how to, you know, potentially dismount from the Cook Serve series, like without stumbling. You know, it's very challenging, and we don't want to. Um, we don't want to like um, belittle that challenge in any way. Like we've seen a lot of really strong uh, devs that we're peers with that have struggled because they've made leaps to other properties or you know leaps to other genres that the community just doesn't necessarily come along with because communities don't necessarily follow uh, the devs, so to speak, if they're going to uh, go all over the place. And as indies, that's something that you kind of have to live with if you want to do that. You know, you have to say, okay, I might have to rebuild a bit, a bit, not necessarily from scratch, but not everybody's going to come with me. Um, and so we understand that we have a really solid community for cook, serve delicious. We have huge discord. We don't take that for granted. We don't just say, oh yeah, we're going to just be able to move off of that and start making other games. Um, but at the same time, if we were in a situation where we were making the same kind of mechanical stuff for the last 10 years, we would be going insane, like absolutely oh, insane, like losing our mind. So we've found this night, like this happy marriage of the design team and the production team saying, well, how can we push this out? How can we continue to explore this, you know, this this genre, this area of uh, games and bring something that's fresh to the table um, that, you know, when you play it, you're like, this is not just a Cookster Delicious game, but this is Cookster Forever. This is Cookster Delicious 3. This is Cookster 2. This is Cookster 1. You know what I mean? Like, you, you know, based on the experience you're having in that game, that it's not just a cook serve game. It's actually this particular specific game. Right. And I think that that's where, that's where I think a lot of indies like look at us and go, Oh, oh you guys are just going the safe sequel route. Well, we s- sort of, we see it safe as in playing with 
the community that's already supported us, continuing to to fuel them and support them because they're going to support us, uh, you know, reciprocally or in, and, and you know reciprocate that. So we're we're now like in a in a space where we're like, okay, we have this one branch in our in our business that's going to be kind of cook serve, and there's another branch that's going to be more experimental. Um, games like Chef Squad, which actually still was adjacent to CookServe, um, which was a Twitch-only game where streamers would play with their chat and order them around like Chef Ramsay or something like that, right? <laughs> like, and you had to type really awesome. rapidly in mm-hmm. chat, right? So, um, but what we knew that that wasn't going to, like, we, we released that for free. We didn't really think that that was going, that was like a prototype thing that we were saying, if this hits, we might make more Twitch games in the future. Um, yeah. May explore the horror side of it you know what i mean with the twitch kind of stuff because twitch loves horror and, and such so there's just areas that we're looking at that we're saying hey this could be really cool but for right now we see that cooks are forever we had an opportunity with it budget wise we had an opportunity with it in terms of saying this might be like the last major big new ip for the cook serve uh series we have some other uh, ideas but they'd be kind of kind of one-offs or cook serve adjacents um and this is sort of a cook serve delicious adjacent, right? Because it's cook serve forever. It's not cook serve delicious for, or it's not cook serve, serve delicious forever, which we did discuss and ultimately decide not to go with as a title, which I think a lot of people, so, you know, we have, we have mixed emotions. So, yeah, I did assume that. Yeah. No, uh, it's yeah. been brought up. It feels like some people are like, it's a missed opportunity. We understand. Um, <laughs> but we did want this to stand alone a little bit. And there are some things to this. Um, I think the big thing, you know, and we, and I'll let you guys fire some questions as opposed to just railroad this whole time. No, you're <laughs> but fine. You're good. But, but I think the big thing is that, uh, the narrative side is a whole new level. Um, yeah. we can talk about the difference between three and, uh, forever after I take a drink, maybe you find, maybe we can have you guys talk for a second while I take a break. <laughs> well, yeah. Like speaking of the narrative thing, I mean, I'm looking at your steam page right now, dozens of hours of gameplay. Like, is that like dozens of hours in terms of like narrative? <laughs> So you're going to see like a combination of like we're, we're, we're promising there like dozens of hours of actual like you'll be sitting with your controller playing the game. You know what I mean? As opposed right. to watching scenes. Those scenes are like additional to that, I believe. So you're looking cool. at like, it, you know, we have in, in CSD one, two, three, we I think CSD one and two, we with CSD two, it was bigger and better. Let's add a bunch of foods. Let's add, yeah. you know, like a tremendous amount of stuff. In three, it was like, let's refine, let's go all over the world. Let's add foods that people at every, at, on every, you know, corner of the globe, which is not, I know I'm not, I'm not saying it's, it's a flat, it's, it's a globe. Uh, but like, you know, every, every area of the globe can look at it and say, Hey, I, I know that you, you guys are representing me. Like I can see my dish. I can see like my countries uh, or my regions, like, uh, you know, food, culinary, you know, skills being showed off here. And there's, was a really cool satisfaction with it. But with all those additions, with like hundreds of foods, we lost that individual food like tactic, right? Like that, that everything right. felt like it's a unique, its own thing. CSD1 kind of had that, right? Cutting up the fish, chopping the carrot for the stew. You know, there was very specific things that you felt in CSD1. Whereas two and three, we just went big. We went really big. We added some different mechanics as well. The mechanics changed from one to two. And then we're kind of built on into three. But it was... It was forever that said, let's go back a little bit. Let's look back. Let's kind of, um, we're still looking for, like you said, dozens of hours of content, but I don't think we need to just give everybody uh, 230 hours of content when we know about 1% of our player base gets to that point. 
Sure. Um, yeah. You know, we need to be reasonable about that. It, it's it's like what I learned like 10 years ago with a different studio that, hey, you got to front load your good looking stuff. You know, a lot of these people aren't going to get to the back part or the, even the yeah. second half or maybe even not even the second, you know, the last 75 percent of the game necessarily and stuff. So not necessarily back, uh, you know, you know, uh, backpack a bunch of, you, you know, your cool, cool, cool stuff um, because you want you want as many people as possible to see that. We just talked about that on the marketing side. Right. So. We definitely want as many people as possible to see it. So, um, so the narrative, as we were talking about, like before, it sort of adds to things in a whole new way. With CSD three, we were able to do voice acting for the first time. We were able to, um, the cast was you as a chef who was silent and tired and exhausted a lot. And, and we, as we are, yeah. <laughs> We put that in the art. He's just, he's always just leaning over his desk or whatever, just like hands, like in his arms, you know, and just a heat because of that after getting through a long day. But his, his, ro- his, ro- his robot uh, companions, uh, Whisk and Cleaver, uh, who are your driver and your gunner, respectively, in your food truck, uh, they don't have to sleep. So they get to talk every night and they get to have these dialogues. And we got to kind of create that voice acting and that narrative design, you know, in the first, in that, in that, so that, that first, full narr- narrative design with CSD3, but it was limited, right? It, was, it wasn't it was like um, fully animated. Um, the scenes always took place with the two of them sitting in the, in the front of the truck, just talking kind of back and forth. CSF is like a fully animated, we're going to be in different spaces. We have, oh, yeah. um, a, I think, a dozen voice actors for this, including like three, you know, major, major characters. Um and we employ, I mean, those who know them, Elspeth, Nega Oryx, like huge streamers that are playing our voice actors as well, that um, uh, actually uh, Negs uh, was Whisk from CSD3. So uh, just really happy to work with her again. And uh, it's been an amazing uh, experience with them. Just we're actually going to, you know, grab a st- sound studio, meet them somewhere and actually get to, you know, get to actually record with them much, uh, much different than the indie experience normally where you get on a virtual call, record all that kind of stuff. So we've been really putting in that extra uh, mile because we want to, it's really fun. Uh, We enjoy that experience on on that side. Um, But we also know that we want this to be our biggest uh, game to date in every single way possible. And uh, we want people to feel that we want people when they play the demos to say, these menus are sleek and they did. And I was happy with that. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) Like right off the bat, like they're feeling that this is another level up from what we presented them production wise in CSD one, two and three. So we're really excited about that particular. How, how satisfying is that when you've made multiple versions of of this game and with the new one, people pick up on those little things that you know that you are, you're like, Oh, I want to do this better. And then you do it better. And people actually acknowledge it. To me, it's the telltale sign that we have a good community, that we have yeah. a connected community that mm-hmm. like is really looking after us. They're like our stewards that are like, hey, what are you guys up to? Let's look at this and let's give uh, feedback on that. We've leaned into that since CSD 2. CSD 2, uh, that was released 1.0 without any early without any testing or, or major testing, I should say, or early access. It was tested by a small group of veterans of the CSD uh, series. And that was not the right thing to do ultimately because it went out uh, to a lot of new players and a lot of other people that had played the game that weren't necessarily veterans of the series. And it was not something that uh, was their speed and it caused our production team to like spin its wheels and spend the next like six weeks in post-launch like 
trying to come up with, you know, uh, updates and new builds to try to satisfy the situation because we were, we were like massively upset and concerned we were going to drop with our steam user reviews down to you know mixed or worse and all this and it's just yeah just just a, a situation where we did not understand uh how to how to do that that you know that with that with our audience that time around so since then with csd3 it's just been the exact opposite what we'll do is we'll start sort of you know drip feeding folks into our early early alphas um real and we have like a what we call it the uh taste tester group on our discord and that's like a special a uh, group that you have to sign up for, sign sign sort of an, like a, a soft NDA for, because we're not like a huge company or anything like that, but just sort of a, hey, you know, you guys going to be testing things you can't talk about. And, you know, we have a, a few dozen there. Uh, we encourage folks of, you know, like super veteran status or even just people with the door on our Discord to sign up so that we have that really diverse, um, you know, feedback. And then, you know, we go the early access route. We understand that when you hit Steam, um, you hit Steam one time only. Like you don't get to, you do get to do 1.0 after early access, but it's not quite the same. Like it's not like right. this ma- massive first time exposure uh, like you get with early access. So we have this kind of pre-early access phase we're working through right now, and we want to get it to where the early access is still got some work left in terms of content additions. But other than that, it should be sparkling, and we understand that oh, yeah. that's what people are looking for with early access nowadays. They really aren't going to uh, buy yeah. a game that isn't already wowing them isn't already capturing them in the core gameplay loop you know what i mean like right off the bat and gives them enough space and like you know hours of gameplay to work with to say this is justified in the purchase i mean yeah like by day i think i think i mentioned this to you on the side like i work in pr and i know like a big thing that like a lot of players influencers all that stuff look for are roadmaps like that is that is the term of 2023 is roadmaps yeah um and yeah that's why whether whether you're early access or not yeah i mean if you're post-launch right like people want to see what they're investing themselves into like necessarily yeah yeah it's like cool i paid 20 bucks for this game what's next yeah, it can be yeah. it can be a one-time experience. That's okay. It needs right. to be defined as that, though. Uh, people need to know that getting into it. Um, and you know, there's certainly it, the tug of war, as you probably know, uh, working in marketing is uh, we as indies can't always guarantee this additional content. Right. You know of what course. I mean? Like we can't just say, "Oh yeah, we can totally commit to this," and then the money isn't there on terms of this in terms of the sales. It doesn't make sense necessarily. So there, you know, it, the. The sad truth of 2023 is that if you're going to be an indie that survives, you got to be about that business. You have to be focused like on the biz on the business aspects of this industry and surviving or and or thriving um, by going through those uh, those, you know, those requirements that you need to to say these are requirements. These aren't ancillary things. These aren't extra things. These aren't oh, right. if I can get to them type of stuff. We need to make sure that we have, you know whatever you want to call them milestones or points on your pre-release, you know, map where you're saying we're making big efforts, we're finding partners like the mini indie showcase, et cetera, like to get to partner up with, because we ourselves cannot carry the day by ourselves yeah. all the time. And we know that um, our partners are, are like bridge to next year and the year beyond and the year beyond that as a company, mm-hmm. right? Like we need to continue to look for them. And, and uh, the, the hard the hard line is that a lot of indies maybe don't, know that or feel that they're up to doing that or just don't feel like it and stuff. And so that's the hard choices that we have to make right now. Some indies are bulletproof, uh, bulletproof, excuse me, um, and can basically continue to do what they're doing uh, without breaking stride and have no issue. But a lot of us have made major adjustments over the last five to seven years, I'd say, um, as our platforms have evolved, as, you know, Xbox has come around with new ideas with like Game Pass 
how that has gone over the last couple of years. Now it's in sort of a mid possibly late game stage there. So there's this, you have to roll with the punches. And I'm sure, you know, uh, you know, coming from that, you know, we're all in this industry together. So it has been a certain since, you know, before I was even on the development side, it's always been about rolling with the punches in the games industry. If you wanted to keep working in it. So, yeah. And I I think, uh, I mean, just, uh, one thing I feel like we should ask you, Eric, because you're on the producer side of things. And I think you're the best person to answer this. We always say on the IndieCast almost all the time. And when we're doing this developer interviews for the showcase and Mike knows it very well, because now he works in PR. Can you tell everyone that uh, is watching and listening? How important is it? Wishlisting games on scene? Cause we yeah. say it all the time. And I feel like being a veteran doing you know, this is the fourth uh, type of this type of game and being on Steam so prominently. How important is that for people to wishlist the game? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's massively important, obviously. I mean, I, I say obviously because you and I and, and three people talking to each other and understand <laughs> the situation. Um, it, it, it is so important. It's um, there's two things that, you know, metrics wise that are really important for Steam right now, wishlisting. And now there's a, the ability to follow a game page or a developer um, or, you know, developer page, et cetera. And those follows are basically almost a level up of the wish list because then you're getting um, emails on announcement posts on Steam and other, other aspects like that. When you wish list, you get uh, locked into an email when the game releases, if it's pre-release, right? And then additionally, anytime it's at 20% or higher discount, uh, you'll get an email notification about that as well. Obviously, that's like the linchpin for sales for Steam uh, developers nowadays. If they're not selling at full price, and I can tell you about 98% of us are not selling enough at full price to say to justify not going on discount basically as often as possible. The other reason that we discount, I think, as often as possible as a side note isn't just because, um, you know, we're like, oh, we have to try to move these kind of units. You get extra exposure from these discounts. You get extra... um, Steam will, you know, slot you higher and and put yep. you on specials lists uh, when you're on discount. Will expose you to, you know, users that haven't heard about your game before. So it's an important thing to do. Even if you're saying, "Look, we're doing well. We don't need to discount seventy five percent off." Okay, great. Run a twenty percent. Run a ten percent. Whatever's good. Um, it may not move the needle, but it will bring more attention to your in terms of raw sales. But it may bring more attention to your game. May add more wish lists to it, etc. So. Wishlist and follows any kind of Steam interactions, right? Any kind of commitments through the platforms that you're purchasing these products through are so important. Um, you know, like we get articles, we got, you know, some really cool articles. Polygon covered us for the Steam Next Fest, uh, Rock Paper Shotgun. Really excited to get that. Really adds, adds some um, legitimacy, like to, you know, like what we're doing and saying, hey, like, you know, if we needed to talk to publishers, if we needed to, you know, say, hey, we want to show, you know, we have some legis- legitimacy here that people are have backed us on the press side, traditional and stuff. We have that right there. But, uh, you know, a Kotaku article isn't moving units necessarily for indies. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, it's not, it, that's not necessarily what's doing it. Streamers as a whole can come together and help move move units. Like, it can get on a, uh, a roll. Uh, or you know, obviously a, a major streamer can cover that can make a big difference. And then there's a trickle down effect, right? And other streamers can cover and they can get on a, on a nice roll there. But otherwise, you really want it direct from the source. Steam, if you can have interaction through Steam, um, then that is so huge. The wish list, the follow. Additionally, you know, some interactions on, obviously, if you can build a Discord, um, that's really good. If you can, 
possibly get your own website going with uh, followers on like your own form. That's the best because I don't know what Twitter is going to be like. I don't know what Discord is going to do uh, in a yeah. year. Um, you know, and, and so we always have that concern when you built a really nice following, but it's not necessarily on a platform you own. Um, and so uh, or that you have control over fully. So uh, Facebook uh, has pulled the rug, obviously, in the past on us. So there's just different aspects. TikTok will, at some point, pull the rug. Like, it's, it's the getting is good now, but for how long, we don't know. And we know that, historically, it says that at some point, they will, the trap will sort of snap shut, and then we will have to pay for the exposure we're getting now, which is great exposure, by the way. So yeah. it's not like I'm... I'm not bitching at TikTok. They're fine. Like they've given us great exposure. Like, 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 like they've done some amazing things, but eventually that well will dry up and we will have to be able to understand that. It's good to understand that ahead of time so that we can move on and, and keep going. So Steam is it, right? Steam's the constant. Hopefully Steam doesn't go away, right? Always a possibility as well. Everything out there, right, is a possibility. But feels very strong. Like, you know, like super strong platform. Um, and from my interactions with their staff, they are doing what they can and doing like, yeah. you know, strong efforts for us. Um, we felt kind of lost a few years ago when it just seemed like the bigger games were going to continue to get the uh, bigger shares. And that, that's, that's how it goes. That's reality. And there's no big deal with that. It's just, it was like, how, how am I as an indie going to even get space? Like just this little tiny, you know, percentage of, of space on this place to get some viewership, to get some discoverability. Um, because there was this feeling a few years ago that even if you did everything right, you could just get flushed down uh, the drain or I guess piled on with the now dozens and dozens and dozens of daily releases uh, Monday through Friday on the storefront. So you under, you have to understand there's so many things to like go, that go into right that pre-release to release um, aspect to, to, to like to go full circle on your question, Kyle. If I'm going into a release and I don't see tens of thousands of wish lists, I'm massively concerned. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, this is it, yep. or, or or downtrodden and depressed because I know that I don't think it's going to do very well. Um, whereas where we're at now, going through these 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 um, different events and to have many indie showcase be like you know kind of like right ahead of our early access launch, like awesome, awesome, really important, right? Because we're going to get some more wish lists coming in. That's what we need to see because when we cross that threshold, those metrics will translate. Um, maybe not. You cannot say it's like the math is not exact. The science is not exact, right? Like the wish list to conversion of sales. Um, I've heard good news from our side, like from outsiders, that if you have a hardcore community, your wish list actually have a better chance of converting than say yeah. they were just kind of pulled from uh, piecemeal from this and that. So I think we're going to see what we saw right away. Um, when we first revealed our coming soon page, which is what we did about eight or nine months ago, Kyle, because we wanted to start our wishlist role. Um, and that first day, there is no there is no spike on our graph that will that will reach our first day, I believe, again. Like because that we landed, we stuck the landing on it, but also that's when our community was ready to, to say, let's go. Like, let's do this, let's wishlist this now. I believe that will happen with Cooks Are Forever's like sales as well. Like day one will be the like a blast. And then after that, we'll just, we'll navigate from there and hopefully have a, you know, a really nice graph and stuff. But we have to understand that that, you know, it, it's 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 not necessarily going to go any higher or like coming any faster than that first day because that's true for most indies too. Like, yeah. and, uh, and uh, 
you want to, you just want to be that one. It was like a, a arrested development thing where Tobias is like, no, that never works for anybody, but it could work for <laughs> us actually. You know what I mean? And so that's the, that's the kind of feeling you get sometimes when you're like, maybe we'll buck the trend here and hey, maybe you will, but you are definitely like of a 0.1%, you know, uh, out of, out of 99.9% people who are uh, games that don't buck that trend. So we're ready for that. We're excited based on what we're seeing with our wish list. Um, and, uh, Kyle, it's like the single most important thing I've stressed over the last like year and a half for a Kickstarter forever is how do we get enough wish lists to take the gamble out of how much money we have put into this game and how and how it's going to release and and how we feel that will turn around and immediately say this was worth your efforts and uh, you know obviously we love to profit but the first thing the first thing is first is to get out of the red and to and to repay what we yeah. put into the game and we feel like based off the wish list we have a really strong chance of doing that. The market's weird. Anything can happen, right? But like you, you lessen your gamble by setting up those metrics ahead of time. And that's how we feel like we're at right now. We're feeling really strong. And um, yet uh, I'm, you know, I just told you, I won't leave a stone unturned. I want to make sure nobody's going to, nobody's heard of us. So, you know what I mean? Like you got to <laughs> yeah, keep yeah. riding on that. Like um, regardless of, you have, we have laurels to rest on and just, we just can't, we just, it's not, it's not the right Absolutely. Call. Yeah. Well, kind of to close things out, I do want to circle back to something you said earlier. Um, you know, uh, you kept iterating on Kirk Serve One, Kirk Serve Two, Kirk Serve Three. Wow, that's really hard to say three times in a row. Um, <laughs> and I just, I want to commend you guys on like, you guys seem like you are just really honing in on the indie spirit, and you are swinging for the fences with Kirk Serve Forever. And I, and I genuinely do think it's going to be pretty fucking massive. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. Uh, that's exactly how we feel. Um, and everything that you love from the originals are going to be here too. The food's going to look, you know, uh, bomb.com. Like you're going to get hungry oh, yeah. if you're, if you're, if you're not already hungry, if you are hungry, I recommend getting a snack before getting into it. Um, <laughs> sure. Is this going to translate to real life cooking skills? Well, I, I feel like, better cook. <laughs> I feel like, okay. So I feel like it'll, it'll inform, it'll inform you, right? Like right. it'll inform you. Yeah. Um, but like any simulation, when I, when I go and play satisfactory, I'm like, this would suck to do in real life. Like, you know what I mean? Like this yeah. would suck to actually have to do in real life. Even with all these automated stuff, this would totally suck to do in real life. But I, I have such a, I, I enjoy that game so much just as, as a simulation. And I feel like, you know, I feel like it, we, we actually hear it the other way around, Kyle, people will come home from work and be like, how can you do this to me? How can you release this game when I just came off an eight hour shift? <laughs> I get you know that. Yeah. I mean? On the short orders, on the short order breakfast, you know, like, you know, for the 3am to 11am, you know what I mean? So, yeah. um, no, I mean, I really, I really feel like it'll inform you. Um, especially if you look, look at some of the, like, I, I think cook surf three is great because it exposes you to foods that you've never even heard of. Like, uh, um, and eventually you play it enough where you're like, you know what, I would try that. And you go find a way to make it happen, you know, or maybe you make it yourself a lot of times because that's what you have to do. If it's a, uh, if it's a cuisine from across the world, you know, you go, okay, well, I'd have to go find the ingredients and put it up myself. Um, so yeah, it's, it's different Japanese dishes. I tried that way. Um, it's cool, man. Like, you know, we're not sitting, we're not sitting over here, like with an actual kitchen, like or anything like Her. that like uh david will actually profess that he hates cooking like uh the original like designer cooks are necessarily like love <laughs> cooking at all um but he loves exploring obviously food and he loves um you know he he loves um we have on our cook serve uh discord um one of our channels and i'll wrap it up i know we're about to wrap up but one of our oh, channels that's, okay. <laughs> that's really important to us is the research and development which is sh- sharing your real life dishes 
um, whether awesome. you're at a restaurant or a lot of people have just taken over and they're just making amazing food. And it's really cool to see the process. And uh, that's probably the next step, Kyle, in terms of going from the game itself to seeing some of these people actually put together, you know, mimosas and things like that, or uh, not mimosas, <laughs> but like samosas. And, uh, you know, like, oh, I, 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 I would want to make my own sopapillas. I love that, like at the restaurant, but I'm like, oh, can I fry my own? That kind of stuff. You see the process of them actually laying it out in, you know, 12 pe- picture steps. And you're going, that does look really good. And it doesn't look uh, as challenging as you might think with as much as, as, as um, most cooking is. It's about, you know, setting up the ingredients and timing yourself and scheduling yourself right. Uh, it's not some sort of massive brain, cur- you know, uh, curdling exercise or anything like that in most cases. I should cook awesome. more is how I feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> That's the next secret game. It's cook, serve, AR, where people like are... <laughs> We were camera. this close five years ago to do yeah? cook serve delicious <laughs> wow. uh, VR um, or cook serve uh, it, cook serve delicious three. At one point, was cook serve delicious three D. So that was oh, that shit. was the yeah. But we uh, cooking sim. Some other folks got in there on the three D side, and we said, you yeah, know, yeah. they're they're taking care of it fine. And, yeah, they got uh, it. And then you know, uh, cook serve food truck was still an idea, but that's what ended up oh, merging cool. into cook serve three. So yeah, it was was cook serve food truck. That's truck awesome. became cook surf three so yeah anyway thanks so much you guys for having me on of course uh, yeah of course um yeah. eric before we let you go where mm-hmm. could people play cook surf forever when could they play it and how could they follow along okay cool yeah so cook surf forever is uh coming out in quarter two of this year we're going to have a release date announcement shortly we unfortunately have to work with some other partners before we can uh really you know bring that to public light um, but we will have that out so, uh, soon. For now, you can wishlist the game on Steam. It's also, uh, I think, uh, yes, you can wishlist on, wishlist also on Epic Game Store, uh, Gamersgate, uh, Fanatical, and Humble Store will also be carrying the games at early access launch as well. So depending awesome. on, you know, if you're into, you know, uh, off Steam, uh, we'll have opportunities for you on the PC side. Um, consoles still um working those out cook serve delicious three was on ps4 xbox uh one and uh switch and we expect uh cook serve forever to be on those latest platforms uh of those uh, platform holders uh when we get to 1.0 which may not be until late 2023 or early 2024 based on our roadmap and based on kind of how that content rolls out uh the game should be more or less feature complete on release on early access release but oh, we'll yeah. be adding chunks of content um, to the campaign as we move through, as well as oh, the one feature that we will be adding uh, later on because we wanted to get the early access out before uh, you know delaying X amount of time is the co-op. The co-op will be added in the middle oh. of early access. So we will have this you know big co-op uh, update um, in the middle of the year as well. So really excited about that. And yeah, you can follow us on. Twitter uh, at Vertigo Gaming Inc. Uh, VJ, uh, VG Inc. I, uh, VG Inc. That's talking about hard things hard to say. Uh, and then uh, our Discord is the Cook Serve Delicious Discord as well. Um, our, on our Twitter, if you go to there, you, you can find our link tree, which has basically everything if you'd like to find us on your platform of choice. Yep, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, you can also find it on 61indie.com slash showcase. Click the Cook Serve Forever key art and all the links will be there for you. Convenient. Yeah, it's my, my that. bad for forgetting about that one, Mike. My no, it's bad. fine. That's my job. <laughs> I have to plug our own stuff. You got your stuff. I got my stuff. For real. Uh, well, Eric, thank you again so much for not only partaking in the showcase, but sitting down with us. 
It's been a delight. Maybe uh, for a future mini indie showcase, we get to work together again on secret games. Who knows? I would love, I would love that Kyle. Mike, the pleasure has been all mine. I really appreciate it. Hell yeah. Well, y'all, if you don't know what the hell the mini indie showcase is, why are you here? Uh, go watch it. Go to six, slash showcase. You can see games such as cook Surf forever and 32 other incredible indie games that we got to show off in March of 2023. I just brain dead for a second. Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've been Mike. That's been Kyle. Eric, thank you again. We will catch you later. Play more indies. Love Play you. more indies. Welcome all to another 6-1 Indie Mini Indie Showcase developer interview. Joining me on the 6-1 Indie side is Mike. I am Kyle, and we are joined by Mariona from the little creepy ragdoll game we showed off called Clem. Welcome, Mariona. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm fine. <laughs> Great. A little bit cold, but fine. <laughs> oh, that's fair. Where, Where are, are you? you in the world? Yeah. Oh, look at that. Look, look at that. that. We're so on point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm in Barcelona. Most oh. people will oh. think that yeah. this is really sunny and really and really hot, but it's not. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> it is, yeah, this is whole winter here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> a lot of snow in Barcelona? Sorry? Is there a lot of snow in Barcelona? No, not a lot of snow. Okay. And, gotcha. But we are not living in the city. We are living in a small town around the area. And, and yeah, and here's a little bit chilly. Gotcha. Well, not snow chilly, but yeah. Chilly. But like, yeah, frigid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mariana, to kick things off, uh, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, what do you do with Mango Protocol? Like, what's your involvement with Clem? I'm, I'm the co founder and also the art director at Mango Protocol. And to keep it uh, like simple, I am the idea girl, and yeah. and yeah, <laughs> and the and the girl who talks to people also. <laughs> this is like my involvement with the with the team. Yeah, nice. Um, tell me a bit about Clem. What's Clem for folks who, for whatever reason, click this without seeing the showcase? <laughs> Clem is a Pennsylvania um, mystery adventure uh, where you need to. Uh, explore an, uh, an apparently abandoned mansion mm. and and you only have the company of a notebook full of notes and illustrations about alchemy and bugs and and yeah and you need to and you need to to move around the house and and solve different kinds of puzzles and and yeah and you need to to unravel all the story behind this this house and and there is a voice that is um, telling telling you what to do and and what what's not and and yeah and you will find out who are you and who's the voice. Nice, very cool. Well, I like right before we started recorded, uh, we were talking about that voice and how like we loved the tone of it. You are mm -hmm. also the voice <laughs> playing the voice. I am. I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm the voice. I'm the voice in English, and I am the voice in Spanish also. That's and awesome. if everything goes well, we also going to to put the voice in Catalan, our 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 own language too. Oh, so awesome. yeah, sweet. Yeah, <laughs> thank uh, you. How hard is it to come up with puzzles for like a game like this? It is. Do you have to obviously you probably you have to solve everything first, but are you ever stumped by your own puzzles? Um, yeah, sometimes because I'm not I'm not the designer. Um, mm -hmm. I'm just the artist. But yeah, um, yeah, not just because we are <laughs> yeah. three people. Yeah, you're just the artist for this people. beautiful like yeah. animated yeah. game. It's <laughs> not a big deal. Yeah, but 
but you know, I'm 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 not I'm not in charge of the design. So so sometimes uh, the designer make us play the game. Me and my other partner, the the programmer Javi. So sometimes, yeah, it's like, man, I don't, I don't know how it, how it is working. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like the first testing made it by by, by ourselves, and and then we we test with people outside the the team. Nice. Well, so, we yeah. we very quickly latched on to the the ragdoll character that mm-hmm. you're moving around, and since you are the just the artist, quote unquote. Uh, <laughs> What made you decide on that design for the character being a ragdoll? That was a really uh, a really old concept because everything we we tried to to use like source material I made in my uni years. Um, I studied fine arts and and I made like a lot of uh, work in illustration, comic, and and that kind of stuff. And and we used a little story. I made like a storyboard for a, a short movie. Where a, a ragdoll um, is like a servant of a of a, a an evil girl. Okay. It's it's not the same. The game claim is not the same. Mm-hmm. But we 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 rescue this this character, this ragdoll, because because we we thought it was cool because you can see um, any expression in in their face. You can you can see any any gender um, appearance in in their yeah in their body also. So we think it's uh, we thought it was really cool for the player uh, to to play with this kind of puppet uh, with no personality because you can put your personality into it. Yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. It feels like a very uh, reflective kind of conduit for like a, a player character that like yeah like i could see i already like just watching the trailer um i could see myself as that little like for me that little bald boy <laughs> um just roaming yeah. around this house like really creeped out like really just wondering why it's empty why i'm feeling the sense of isolation uh yeah it's really fascinating i think that's a pretty brilliant choice thank you thank you that that was it that was the idea <laughs> yeah nailed yeah. it <laughs> Yeah, it's not a really. I think it's not a really like revolutionary idea. A lot of games uh, have already done it, but yeah, I think it's really. If it works, why why you need to to keep inventing weird things, right? So yeah, exactly. We 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 make we 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 take it, borrow it, and, <laughs> and yeah, the best fine. ideas are borrowed. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, I'm glad I have you, the artist here, because I do have a question mm-hmm. about the aesthetic of the game. You know, a lot. I, I would say, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think all the Mango Protocol games do have this distinct kind of. Um, I correct me if I'm wrong with the hand drawn. If is that correct to say? Kind of. Yeah. Well, like digitally drawn. Yeah, it's 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 made by hand. Yeah. Any kind of drawing, because but. <laughs> yeah, because um, sometimes people mistaking like um, analogic drawings or analogic in- yes. illustration by hand drawn, um, or everything that is not like three D model or something like that, like two right. D uh, kind of illustration. But yeah, we start making our games like fully yeah on per- on paper, like yeah hand drawn in a yeah. in a, in a white paper uh, scan and then process in a computer. But now we are using solely, solely, um, yeah, uh, a digital device as a, a big cool. tablet and, and that kind of stuff. So 
like kind of looking at your library so far, like Agatha Knife, Colossus Down, and then to Clem, mm-hmm. it feels like, you know, you are sticking with the same visual language, but it very much feels like each game has like a significant step up in quality and just like bringing these characters and these worlds to life. What inspired that that look? Was that just something like your own like art style that you always were like drawn to? Was it something like with like this psychotic adventure branding that you really wanted to tie into? Yeah, it's it's like a mixture of my of my my previous work where where we 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 were like self influential by and and my my also my urge to to improve and to to make better art so we try to keep a when well, i try to keep a balance between making our games like more pretty more beautiful more yeah more eye catching them as much as i can and to keep like this um kind of uh, style traits as much as i can like the face shape like the two dots for eyes, uh, color palettes, um, I don't know. Um, there is like some like basic stuff I need. Uh, I need to continue like keeping always in our games to to show the people that um, in fact the games are are connected, are all placed in the same universe. So I was going to ask you that. <laughs> I can I cannot change. I cannot change yeah. a lot from a game to another because. Um, people will not get that they are set in the same, yeah, like the same universe, in the same place, in the same era, or whatever. Yeah. For su- for such a, a beautiful game, the trailer ends with a psychotic adventure, yeah. like a, a, a <laughs> label that you guys at Mingle Protocol use on multiple games. What what does it mean by a psycho- a psychotic adventure? Yeah, maybe it can sound a little bit harsh, but it's because it's our way to to warn the player because mm, we we like to to make twisted games, um, and and maybe you can think, oh, it's pretty nice, pretty cute, like uh, it can seem for children, but it's not. It's not for children. <laughs> well, children children can play it, mm-hmm. but. But um, it's not our main focus. We we try to to explain uh, adult adult themes and 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 complex stories, and this is why we put this label psychotic adventures because yeah I, I think it gives it, it it is strong but it gives the the enough um, like a warning um, trigger mm-hmm. to the people that maybe can can stop and think. Mm, maybe this is not as cute as it, as it as it shows. Yeah, yeah. lets everyone know what they're getting into before yeah. they get into it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned the uh, like the it has the appearance of a children's game, but like obviously it's not for kids. Like kids can play it. Have you had an issue with kids, like maybe too young of kids playing your games? Like, did a kid come across Agatha Knife and then all of a sudden they were surprised that a character was like trying to convince them? convince animals to sacrifice themselves yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that happened to us like some parents in in steam because the other platforms you you never know but because right. you don't have like this uh super direct uh, feedback platform that steam offers but yeah in steam some parents uh wrote as like uh this is outrageous <laughs> how dare you to to 
to to show this to the kids and he's like oh ma'am i'm so sorry but this is not a kids game uh, and and also in, in events uh, that happen as like uh, not not a lot but quite few times like uh, we are showing our game in a in a in an area and 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 it's like yeah like um, all kind of games area and all the all the moms and dads are like oh this cute uh, this cute game you can play it and it's like maybe no it's not really <laughs> cute when you kill the pig but well ma'am, whatever <laughs> but they gotta start somewhere I started yeah. young yeah, but, yeah. you know it's fine <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and sometimes you you assume that kids um, like maybe they are not used to the violence, but then the parents told you like, oh no, uh, he's ten, but he's playing like um, Call of Duty or whatever, and it's like, mm-hmm. well, if we can kill uh, soldiers from another armies, it's fine to kill yeah, a pig, fine, yeah. uh, like a cartoon <laughs> pig. It's fine. The amount of like young children come in with their parents to buy Grand Theft Auto when I worked at a GameStop Same. is outrageous that some of their parents yeah. let those kids play those games. <laughs> and granted, yeah, I was yeah, one of those right. kids. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, same, <laughs> like, but... <laughs> um, earlier on, you mentioned, uh, you know, this is a mystery. Can you um, can you touch on some of the, like, mystery influences or maybe some, like, mis- like influences from other, like, film, TV, anything like that, other games? We we were really really um, influenced by by Frambo, uh, mm. Kill Monday game, the first Kill Monday game uh, they published because they were making the game the same time we were thinking to start um, doing games. Interesting. Like really 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 back <laughs> in time. Like I am I am old. I don't look like we all are. It's okay. People, but yeah, I'm. <laughs> I'm I'm fine. Perfect, that's fine. <laughs> but I'm fine. But yeah, um I think um this this kind of like um horror um psycho- more psychological horror not not super like jump scary horror it's it's a kind of of games that that we we enjoy and and yeah and and, and it's more like uh we need we feel the urge to tell this story, and we we just made the script, we just made the game, and and everything flows. Now I'm I'm not I'm not really sure that anything like super, um, um, yeah, like super um, inspiring. The inspiring, yeah, like yeah. one thing or two things. No, I don't think so. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, I know you teased a little bit of it earlier, but how did uh, Clem and this uh, this ragdoll uh, awaken from where we see them in the trailer? Like well, a little bit of the narrative. Can you tease a little bit? Yeah, the the my voice, <laughs> my voice wakes you, like um, like tells you, hey you, wake up, <laughs> and so we need you to. <laughs> And, and you need to and you need to to bring beauty to the boys. This is how how the game starts, and you need to find beauty in around the house. That's awesome, sweet. That sounds so good. That's like again, like before we started recording, we told you like as soon as like the trailer started, with a, within a few seconds, we we're like, okay, yeah, we need to get this game. 
that everything you just said is exactly why we wanted to showcase this. This is like, yes, you are a horror influence. You're a horror adjacent, but I love when people do interesting things within the horror genre. Um, and you guys in general, like mango protocol throughout like the entire library, like is horror adjacent, I would say in one or two ways. Um, and yeah, I, I think Clem is really excelling in that with that theme and Thank that you. concept. Um, I will say, I think the segment that Clem is in in the showcase is probably my favorite. And it's my mo- it's like <laughs> the most chaotic trio of games. Yeah, because leading into Clem is uh, um, Plushy from the Sky, which is this really like hyper anime uh, <laughs> souls like where you're thrashing around a teddy bear. Yeah. And then it's just, hey, you. <laughs> I love it. So much. <laughs> It's great. It's a great combo for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mariona, can you tell us uh, where Clem can be played and when can we expect to play the game? Um, Everybody can play the demo right now. It's on Steam. So for free, of course. So it's already, already mm, ready, already ready to to play the Mm. demo. And we are planning to to finish the game, well, to launch the game um, after the summer, because we have already done like seventy five percent of the game. It's already done, nice. so we are we are pretty pretty on it, and and yeah, people people will not be like waiting uh, a lot for for the final game. That's what we like to hear. Yeah. Well, we can't wait for Clem. Hope you are too. Uh, Mariona, thank you so much for joining us. And again, for uh, lending us your your precious game for us to showcase. It's very exciting. Um, check it here at youtube.com slash 61indie for all future developer interviews for some of the showcase games. And you, of course, can go to 61indie.com slash showcase for a full rundown of all 33 games that we uh, showed off. Uh, wish until next Clem. time. Please wish us, Clem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Play the absolutely. <laughs> uh, we love you and we'll see you soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Welcome back to another 6-1 Indie Mini Indie Showcase Developer Interview. Uh, joining me today on the 6-1 side is Harry. Hello. I'm Kyle. And today we're with uh, the developer for Numata, Antonio Alvarado. Antonio, how are you? Hey guys, I'm doing pretty good. Um, you know, it's just a Saturday morning. You know, got the yeah. coffee, got Sweet. the water. Yeah, feeling pretty good. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. Uh, yeah. You're uh, you're on the West Coast, right? Yes, um, in like the Los Angeles County area. Ooh. Okay, nice. Is it uh, what's the weather like today in March in LA? I haven't been out there this time. Uh, it's better now. I mean, last week it was snowing. There was like a little blizzard, kind of, you know. So that was kind of weird, but it's kind of back to normal. You know, just okay. a little cold, but yeah, it's pretty good. Nice. Is is snow not an LA thing? No, uh, no, no, not really. <laughs> yeah, no. It, it's a uh, it's a sight to see for sure. Sweet to to have like everything coated in white. So it was, was kind of cool. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so, Antonio, what is uh, your history of uh, being a game dev? Um, I, I know you are the solo dev on Numata, correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, how did you get into uh, game development? Um, well, besides just you know playing video games since I was born, um, 
what got me into like development was in high school, I took an animation class and I started kind of learning 3D modeling a little bit and learning an animation fundamentals. So that kind of got me hooked just straight away. Um, and ever since then, I just kept kind of diving in deeper into all areas and kind of just getting interested in how this works and that works. So, um, yeah, ever since then, just, just one animation class, I think I was like 14, something like that. Maybe, maybe even younger, actually, I think I was probably 13. Nice. That's great. Yeah. Well, what, what games did you play when you were younger that inspired you to turn into this kind of career? Um, I did play a lot of horror games. Uh, not surprisingly. Yeah, um, it seems to track pretty nicely. <laughs> um, but I think, honestly, I think some of the games that I played the most, or the, the game that I played the most, is probably Kingdom Hearts. Oh, excellent! Very nice. And I, I just played that one kind of nonstop, just over and over again for some reason. Besides that, on the horror side, I was playing a lot of um, Resident Evil, um, Condemned. Um, There's this one game. I think it's called Cold Fear. Oh, okay. That no one really knows about, but that one's super awesome. It's like takes place on a on a frozen ship. Like, it's all shipwrecked. But that one I also played almost nonstop, too. I gotta look that up. That sounds fun. Yeah, that sounds too as, scary for me. As a as a newbie into the horror games, that sounds like a, a cool setting. Yeah, it's awesome. No, it's really great. Um, what a being a, a dev on your own. Uh, what kind of difficulties do you run into since you're you have to plan and do everything? Um, yeah, it's definitely just a lot of time management. And just constantly running out of time, yeah, and and just juggling things. So, um, I think the biggest hurdle is you know just doing everything on your own is kind of the time it takes to improve on each area. It kind of gets a little prolonged, mm-hmm. um, but just being well rounded, I think, has just helped me understand how to build a game just in general from all areas and just kind of having that like. A bit, that chance to keep learning mm-hmm. um so i appreciate that part a lot but um yeah i think it's just the time just kind of being pulled in different directions sure what's your what's your favorite thing to do uh, as a game dev is it the obviously you said you have a background in animation is it uh figuring out like the mechanics or whatnot like what has so far been the the most fun um yeah i mean i'm a terrible animator uh, I do, I do, I do love to do it. Um, not that great, but I, yeah, I, I do really love to do that and kind of set up little cinematic type animations and stuff like that. Um, besides that, just kind of making something small just work. Anything like programming related, just making something move with code. I think that's super is just satisfying for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, because I would call myself an artist first, uh, like traditional fine arts, just kind of drawing and painting. Um, so I, it kind of took me a while to get around to 
to enjoying the programming side. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, I just I really just enjoy just making gameplay. Sweet. That's awesome. Have you incorporated any of your like school projects that you started with into your game? Or is like this whole thing like a nice, fresh perspective starting from the ground up with like just your thoughts and your coding on trying to get this moving? Um, so the thing with this game, I think, um, I started development on this game back in, well, I thought, you know, the initial ideas for it back in like July, 2022, I I didn't really start development until like August, but, um, really this game, it's kind of, it, it kind of is the culmination of a horror game that I've been trying to make for years and years. So it's, it's, it's kind of being built on the back of that, but you know, just all my previous projects have kind of just been leading up to this point. Um, so in a way, my previous projects, I've been kind of making them so that I can pull from them in order to make this project. So it had, it's been kind of just, just a cumulative process, just, you know, scrapped project there, scrapped project there. But from each project, I've just been able to uh, to really just build upon and just kind of speed up development on Numata. Awesome. And speaking of Numata and, and Harry's favorite subject, what is this horror game Numata? So I kind of got into HP Lovecraft last year towards the beginning of the year, kind of. And that kind of just spawned my idea for Numata. So a very cosmic horror, psychological horror, survival horror. I was just kind of just trying to make something that kind of combined these elements um, just from previous games that I do enjoy. So like Resident Evil, Outlast. So games like that and and games like Condemned, um, both Condemns, like Bloodshot and Criminal Origins. So just kind of those were like my core inspirations. And so I just wanted to make a cool story that was kind of, you know, it it messed with existential crisis. So Numata, it kind of, Numata actually means spirits in Greek, which, um, yeah, I was just doing a lot of Google searching and synonyms and uh, just landed on Numata, which is, I think it's a cool name. But yeah, <laughs> definitely is. I like it. Um, but yeah, that, that's what kind of what Numata is. Is just a. It definitely is a survival horror uh, game at heart, um, with elements of cosmic horror and psychological horror. So it's a game where you kind of have to fight to survive. You have to. You can run. You can hide. You can try to stealth um, your way through. You know, if you're not the best at stealth, then you might have to, you know, run or fight. So stuff like that. Um, And then also playing with the players or the main character's sanity. So, you know, the, you know, things kind of breaking down in that aspect also, you know, with seeing things that aren't there and experiencing um, kind of otherworldly things. That sounds awesome. 
I know probably not for Harry, but it sounds, it sounds to me. T- the idea sounds great. Uh, I'll I'll be watching people play with one eye open. <laughs> what a what is so intriguing and exciting about uh, horror, Antonio? Why why go the horror route? Um, for me, I think the two things that I think are really difficult to do are horror and comedy. Mm. Um, and so it just kind of interests me. I mean, I, I'm just, I love comedy. I don't know how I would make a comedic game. I, I would love to, but, um, you know, so this is my second thing would be horror. You know, I just, I love horror movies and horror everything. I don't know. Just, I'm kind of like Harry. I, I, I kind of just need somebody next to me while I play or. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) I like that. So I, you know, I'm not totally like someone that just, um, you know, is numb now. And I just, I just play horror games just to play them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I play them because, you know, I get scared really easily and, (laughs) uh, I have a hard time with horror games. So I just wanted to make a game that, I could do that to other people. Oh my god, I love that reason. Yeah, it's what great. a great explanation. <laughs> I love this. This makes me want to now try this game. <laughs> like, well, if he's scared, I'm scared. Exactly. We can all be scared. He's making the game, and he's scared. That's great. <laughs> I don't know if that scares me even more. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so uh, Numata looks fantastic. Uh, once again, thanks for showing, uh, allowing us to show us in our in our little showcase. Um, for those that are excited about it, uh, where can they play Numata, and when can we expect to play it? Um, so it's definitely coming out on Steam. Um, Sweet. Currently, there is like a very early gameplay focused um like an alpha build for it that's available to play um again the project is pretty early on right now still Mm -hmm. um but there is something that people can just kind of dive into and play around with a little bit um i am hoping for it to be released on all major consoles so that's something i'm working on right now sweet so you know playstation and xbox um I think getting it onto Switch would be kind of a, a bit of a tall task, but <laughs> but definitely yeah. um, those two consoles is is kind of what I'm um, aiming for right now. Sweet, awesome. Uh, thank you, Antonio, for your time here and again for showing the game. Um, if you want to learn more about Numata, uh, go check out six com slash showcase where we have Numata along with all the other thirty three awesome indie games that we showed off today um that's it for us here check us out for more developer interviews here on youtube.com slash 61 indie uh play more indies and we love you bye welcome back to the 61 indie uh mini indie showcase uh developer interview a, a little series we got going on um let me start that over. That was bad. That was bad. I can feel it. Yeah, I can feel it too. <laughs> 
Welcome back to the 6-1 Indie Mini Indie Showcase Developer Interview. I'm Kyle alongside Mike. And joining us today uh, to talk all about a game we just showed off, Raven's Watch, from Past Tech Games, is Margot Sally, the Associate Producer and Communication Manager. So how are you, Margot? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. Grand. Yeah. Now that you're here, wonderful. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Margo, tell us a little bit about uh, Past Tech Games and how long have you been developing games and why you got into uh, game dev. Yeah, so Past Tech Games has been around uh, for 10 years now. The studio was created uh, in 2012. And first there was only the founder, Sylvain. He worked uh, solo on the first game uh, of the studio, uh, which was named uh, Space Run. And it was actually quite well received uh, when it was released in 2014 uh, at the time. Then uh, Sylvain surrounded himself with talented people across the years and the team grew up to what it is now, uh, which is about uh, 20 full-time people. And wow. um, we made uh, four games, actually. So there was Space Run, the first one, uh, then uh, Space Run Galaxy, its sequel in 2016. Uh, then we tried something uh, new with uh, Masters of Anima in 2018. And sadly, it didn't find its public, even though the game got uh, good press at the time. It was actually quite liked by the few players that uh, played it. <laughs> um, but yeah, then we got known with Curse of the Dead Gods. Yeah, definitely. Um, first with the early access uh, in 2020, uh, which we made during the pandemic, and then with uh, version 1.0 uh, in uh, 2021. 20, uh, and uh, so myself, I've been working at Pasta Games for three and a half years, uh, and I'm a producer, like you said, and also a communication manager. I actually started uh, at Pastec as a communication uh, manager, but I wanted to um, to be more involved in the production side of things. So I made the switch uh, a few years back. Awesome. Sweet. And yeah, I mean, congrats on Curse of the Dead Gods. It was such a hit, especially during the pandemic mm -hmm. when everybody like was really hungry for games. Like it seemed like things were slowing down. And then I feel like Curse of the Dead Gods kind of like came out of nowhere and everybody was talking about it. So like kudos to you guys and like everybody on the team who's we are fans ourselves. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so tell us about what we showed off during the showcase. What is Raven's Watch? Yeah, so Raven's Watch is well the next game made by Pasta Games uh, after Curse of Dead Gods. Uh, like Curse, it is a action top-down uh, hoglite game, but uh, Raven's Watch is also playable solo, but also um, up to four players in co-op. So you play as characters inspired by tales and legends, such as uh, the Little Red Riding Hood, um, Aladdin, the Snow Queen, Beowulf. Um, but in a twisted version of it, full of nightmares and uh, dramatic events. It's actually quite a dark game with more serious themes and grim issues. So it, it's, it's still um, similar to Curse of the Gods for that, but also very different for, yeah. for so many reasons. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, we played a little bit earlier uh, before we hopped on and absolutely love how each character feels different. Uh, it, it, it was a good time. Yeah, I think we I think I'm still find out who my favorite is. I really I'm really liking Aladdin so far, I think. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I like <laughs> I like Beowulf's shield also. That's been like super helpful. I'm part I'm partial <laughs> to Scarlet and turning into the uh, the big bad wolf when nighttime comes around. Yeah. That's great. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing uh, how each character feels like so distinct and so different mm-hmm. and really tailored to like how each individual player plays. Like it feels like people will find their favorite character and really attach themselves to it, which is always great to have it's kind of that cliche player agency kind of thing mm-hmm. very pr talk but <laughs> uh, what is it about roguelikes that are just so much fun to create um i think it is because they are easy to learn but uh, hard to master um and I think that what makes roguelites so fun, it's, it's the replayability and the fact that usually each run is unique and also an opportunity to beat the game differently. And in Raven's Watch, it's even more the case. Um, it's, it's also the fact that you can play with some friends, of course, but also that you can embody such charismatic characters with each of their own playstyle, like you, you mentioned. And I think... Um, I think the possibilities are what makes the genre so fun to create, but also to play. Um, to us, at least, uh, it's actually quite nice to have a reduced uh, scope of game, uh, but also it's a challenge uh, to create original gameplay mechanics, um, combine genres, find the thing that different differentiates um, your roguelike from another. Well, yeah, kind of going back to the folk, the folktales and the legends, um, how hard was it to choose which folktales and legends to include? Were there any that like you wish you could have included or could have made in the game? Well, actually, it's not that hard. No? <laughs> uh, you know, we are surrounded by stories from yeah. from a young age, and these are popular characters that almost everybody knows. Um, we've all read the books, we've all listened to the tapes, watched the movies about those folk tales. So for sure, they they have to fit the theme of tales and legends. But um, we also try to avoid mythology, for example, because other games uh, do that very well already. Um, but it doesn't mean that the characters themselves can repre- represent um, a, certain, a certain archetype. So we definitely choose characters that we would want to play um, and I, that are also world famous, even if uh, they are not part of our own culture. Yeah, We're French, so uh, we have a tendency to, to choose tales from um, from Europe, but we also want to, to be able to have other continents uh, represented. So for Raven's Watch, we'll have six heroes uh, ready for the launch um, in early access on April 6th. Um, we'll have the Red Hood, uh, the Pete Piper, Beowulf, the Snow Queen, Aladdin, and Melusin. And we plan 10 in total. Uh, so okay. there's still room for more. Yeah. Uh, awesome. definitely, we definitely have a, uh, a long list of possibilities, but we're also open and, and we want to hear what the suggestions from the community are, you know. Yeah, I'm sure uh, once people get their hands on it, you're going to get flooded with, uh, I want this, I want mm-hmm. that. We already do. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. <laughs> uh, what did uh, you learn from your previous game, uh, Curse of the Dead Gods, that you carried over to Raven's Watch? 
Oh boy, uh, so much. <laughs> We've learned so much. Um, well, first, um, just how to make an early access, actually. It's pretty different from a, a launch, a, a usual launch. Um, I think it, it went pretty well with Curse, um, the, the early access, but there's definitely room for, for improvement. And launching a game is in, in early access is always stressful. Launching the game, launching in a game is always stressful, but in early access, it's something else. Um, but you, you, you learn so much in the process about the game, about the players, about what they want, and how to handle certain situations. So I think it's really, really great to have had had this uh, experience with Curse, and now we can continue this uh, with uh, Raven's Watch. Um, what we learn also, well, of course, um, the genre itself, uh, the roguelike genre. Um, there's a certain, let's say, Curse of the Dead Gods legacy in Raven's Watch, for sure. Having made a roguelike before definitely helps uh, when you want to make a, uh, a second one. Yeah. Um, I think uh, overall we're, we're just better prepared and we know the raw quite well, so it's easier to iterate on it. We give a lot of importance uh, to the game feel, especially during the fights. So that's kind of one of the one of Pastec's trademark, actually, intense and challenging combats. And even if we didn't want to do the same thing as in Curse, it is still one of the key elements of um, the gameplay of Raven's Watch. So it's something that we carry along in um, our productions and also visually uh, the the comic book uh, 3D illustration style mm -hmm. um, became the graphic style of the studio actually it, it's it's identity almost so we've learned a lot tech uh, tech wise and now we're we're able to go even farther uh, with the visual styles of our games yeah, it's, yeah I mean, it's beautiful, and you said challenging, and boy, oh boy, it's challenging. It's very challenging. We got our butts kicked pretty, pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get but there. But what enough. I like also is that it's accessible too. So yeah, it is. You just have to keep trying. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just about like I was kind of saying earlier, like you find your character and you just like learn yep. their learn their special abilities, learn their like their R strong RT attacks, and mm -hmm. yeah. It's just about finding that rhythm, mm -hmm. and we we got close. We got close. We got we did okay against the first <laughs> boss. <laughs> A solid okay. <laughs> well, kind of going back to the characters when creating the roster of playable characters, um, what is the process of making them feel different from one another, and like how you balance kind of that fun factor with the challenge? Love that the fun factor. <laughs> factor. Um, Technical term. <laughs> well, when we choose uh, to make a new playable character, what we are really looking for is the key element of what makes uh, them different from another. So, you know, what is the key component of this uh, particular hero? What is the key um, thing in their story that can be exploited uh, for gameplay? So... Um, Pretty straightforward thinking here. Uh, Aladdin has a uh, genie lamp, so bingo, you'll be able to make wishes throughout the runs. Yeah. Um, another example is Scarlet. You mentioned her, her the red hood. She can uh, shape shift into a wolf at nightfall. 
Um, another character, Melusine, controls wisps of water from uh, from a distance. So I guess what's important is that each playable character falls into a category like, you know, melee com combatant, heavy warrior, ranged fighter, but they also should not be restricted to that category. And I think that's what um, we need to do with those characters in Raven's Watch. They need to feel unique in the gameplay, in their trait, that's what we call uh, we call that. And um, I guess that definitely contributes to the fun factor. Perfect. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, we're super excited to play Raven's Watch. And once again, thank you for including it in our little indie showcase. Uh, thank you when, so much. When can people expect to play it and where can people play it? Yeah, so the game will be released in early access on um, April 6th of this year on Steam. And then uh, we'll keep running and rolling updates uh, for at least a year, <laughs> and uh, we we plan to then release it in 2024, 20, 2024 sorry, um, <laughs> on all platforms, awesome. PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series, and Nintendo Switch. Amazing. Sweet. Can't wait to play on April 6th. Hope you all do. Please uh, wishlist the game uh, and, and get it when you can. Uh, thank you again, Margo. And thank you, everyone, for watching our continued mini indie showcase uh, developer interviews and, of course, the showcase itself. Uh, please head over to 61indie.com slash showcase for our full rundown of all 33 incredible games we showed. And, uh, yeah, play more indie games. We love you. See you later. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Hello and welcome to another developer interview tied to the Mini Indie Showcase. Today we're with the Flipfly team. We got Chell, we got Jin, we got Angela, and Kyle on the 61 Indie side. I forgot yeah. about that. <laughs> Flipfly, you're developing Whisker Squadron Survivor, my dream game, as your local uh, Star Fox dork and fanatic. <laughs> so thank you. Have, have um, any of us three played Star Fox before? I have. Ooh, that's a great yeah. question. <laughs> um, that that makes me so happy. At it. That is my, incredible. I didn't even know what a game was before. <laughs> my cousin owned Star Fox 64, and so whenever oh we went God. to their house, sometimes we'd play the multiplayer. I, uh, we didn't own it, so I suck at oh it. Hey, there God. it is. Um, and then I at some point decided to borrow it, and... Mm -hmm. Man, I can't save Falco's ass in the first level. I can't save Slippy's ass in that level where <laughs> that guy, that robot thing, and then you, you got to yeah. go save. Man, I can't even get yeah. to Macbeth, which is the thing that my cousin quotes the most. Macbeth sucks. Oh, Macbeth's the worst the goddamn level. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yes. I, I, I never got the good ending. Fair. Well, mm. you'll get the good ending in Whisker Squatch and Survivor. Uh, Not yet. <laughs> uh, who wants to tell me what Whisker Squatch and Survivor is? Angela. Yeah. Oh wow! It's it's getting it's getting passed off to me. So um, the way that we've been describing it is it's really like a the love child of uh, Star Fox and Vampire Survivors. So it's a, a roguelite. You are a feline pilot and you're trying to clear this area of our enemy, the swarm. So you're picking up their scrap and leveling up your items and your ship and just generally kicking some bug ass. 
<laughs> Hell yeah. Sweet. So as a, got, oh, oh go ahead. sorry, Mike. As nope. a as a huge fan of your uh, your previous title, Race the Sun, uh, what makes an on rails uh, you know ship uh, game the most fun? Because I Race the Sun is one of those things like one more run, one more run, and, and how do you transform that into another whole game? Um, I don't know, Jen. Do you want to talk about this one? Otherwise, I can give a little bit of my uh, input on this yeah yeah like to be honest i i'll be honest like um i didn't play games for like five years <laughs> before i oh started God, working for Flipper. <laughs> no but it's because i have like really bad rsi and then like oh, when okay. i play games it's like just ooh, my arm just gave out so um <laughs> Yeah, no, I had to ask Aaron, like, hey, Aaron is our boss. Like, hey, is it okay if I work in games, but I don't play games? But, like, <laughs> I, I, yeah. So the only games I play now is Race the Sun <laughs> and Whisper <laughs> Squadron. Yeah. Uh, the only games that exist, obviously, outside yeah. of the other 32 yeah. games that we showed off <laughs> during the showcase. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't know. So, like, in meetings, everyone has to give thoughts of, oh, how can we improve the game? And, like... Aaron's always like, oh, Jin, what do you think? And I have zero thoughts. So oh, okay. <laughs> I just know how to make things look okay, look nice. So, <laughs> like, gameplay, well, I'm going to have to pass it off to Chell or Angela. I'm so sorry. So, um, Race of Sun came out, like, 2012, I want to guess. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest. I don't. None of us worked on that game back then. Okay. I was in high school and then when i started working on whisker squad what were you were you are you baby anyways um i was uh i was in high school in 2012 and i graduated that year and then so when i worked on whisker squad i'm like holy shit i'm working with the racist sun people i've had this game in my library for like a decade um yeah i know right so i'm like wow that's that's wild and also uh yeah they're great Uh, i love my my team everyone's super nice Um, um, but I, I do like roguelikes. Uh, granted, I am terrible at things that involve flying. Um, I feel like a, a good roguelike has variety and like there, there are different upgrades you can get and there are different weapons and each pilot has their own ability. Uh, I think they're, they're, they have their own kind of like passive ability. Um, and so... Uh, I like shotguns in general because I can't aim for beans. <laughs> and so, uh, like, yeah, I like the yeah. shotgun. Um, and, like, you know, the standard rifle is, is pretty solid. But there's also, like, a Gatling gun, which has, like, a wind-up and uh, a pulse laser, which you charge. It, it makes me think of the Kirby Air Ride Plasma weapon. Um, Hell, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. And then you, you have different upgrades. And so there are different things that kind of, like, influence the way you play. And you can kind of make different builds. Um but I'm, again, I'm not great at this game. And so I still haven't made it past, like, level five. I yeah, spent the I was going to ask, Ange, how, just playing. how far have you made it in the game, Angela? Um, I have beaten it, but what? less oh than a handful God. of times. Oh, my yeah. God. Angela's a gamer, you know what I'm saying? I've never level two once. I can't sh- Oh, you haven't gotten past level two? Okay, I'm definitely better than you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh I haven't God, spent Aaron any of the upgrades because I, I use gin mode. Yeah, where you can't die. Gin mode is God mode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been playing behind the scenes a little bit, uh, thanks to you mm-hmm. guys and Angela for oh, giving yeah. me keys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I think 
I think the furthest I've made it was six, I think. That's pretty good. Wow. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's yeah. Pretty good. First sure. try as well. Goddamn. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I think a lot of that is to the credit of like me being a lifelong Star Fox fan. And what I can say, and this goes for Whisker Squadron Survivor and what mm. I've played of Whisker Squadron proper, if I could call it that, <laughs> um, <laughs> is that you guys really uh, nailed the feel and the vibe of what a game like this should feel and look and sound like. So like, I, you know, Jin, you're the, uh, the artist. Chell, you are the sound composer i kind of want to start with the sound uh this the soundtrack rips it's oh, so thank good. you <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, yes. that makes me really happy to hear yeah. uh, so tell cool. me a big it it sounds like you know like 80s inspired like power rock with like shredding guitars and stuff can you tell me a bit about that like what the inspirations were so when i was trying to basically pitch myself working on this game and I, I i had followed it on twitter for a hot minute and i i asked um af- after getting to know aaron not you know immediately uh you know i i tried to see if you know they needed someone if they did if they already had someone i mean they've been working uh in the industry for a decade then you know all good i, I would be more than happy to support the games from like the side and cheer them on uh but they didn't have anyone they were like oh we could you could use someone to write music for the trailer and somehow this doesn't happen very often. I had like an entire song idea fully formed in my head. Uh, and wow. the first song that you hear when you play Whisker Squad and Survivor is also another song. I was washing the dishes and I was like, <laughs> I have an idea. <laughs> I, I got to finish the dishes so I can, I, I, can, I can put this down before I forget. Um, and I guess I, I wanted to sound it to sound kind of like heroic and actiony. And, and I already, and I, I thought of like the, the sort of strings and um, I, I, I kind of took, some influence of course i was like i should listen to the star fox soundtrack which to be honest i'm not a fan of <laughs> there's like two good songs in star fox 64 and um and i was like all right well i decided to like look into other things and and then um artistically it started to go into like a sort of like a vapor wave synth wave kind of vibe yeah. um and i had written some of those songs previously and so with um uh, originally, with um, before Whisker Squadron Survivor was an idea that we had. Uh, we had like your standard level, and then you would fight a boss at the end. And so I had a standard flying version of the song, and then a boss version of that same song, which was like heavy metal versions. Where I, I had a friend, my friend Tiago Rodriguez, would record guitar, and and that you know mm-hmm. I'd switch out instruments to be like way more guitar and and heavier drums and stuff like that, but. Um, I kind of just worked off of like whatever kind of like themes that we were building on. And then when we did Whisker Squads and Survivor, I'm like, I already wrote all this music. We're just going to use that. So as for influences, I don't know. I just kind of worked with what was the general theme that we were going for at the time. Where it's like, uh, are we going to do like a like the the first theme that you hear in Survivor is like, OK, this is supposed to be like Corneria where there's like a cityscape under attack. And yeah. So that's that's like okay. What what do I think of for that? And and that's what I wrote for that one. Nice. Well, kind of like the other side of that, uh, Jin. The visuals of this game. Um, you know, yeah. Chell mentioned synthwave. I think that's the best way to describe how this game looks as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Whisper Squadron, the 
core game, Whisker Squadron as an entity. Um, from what they I played a bit, you are spacey space game internally. Oh, yes. the, spacey yeah. space the, game. The, the unofficial official title is Whisker Squadron Galaxies so okay. far. So Whisker Squadron I Galaxies. I prefer spacey space game, but yes. Spacey space space. I like that a lot too. I like that a lot too. Uh, yeah, please uh, secure that URL before this goes live. <laughs> Um, Sorry, so in, in no, it's okay. Uh, in <laughs> Galaxy, it seems like Olivia is flying through a lot of just like cityscapes, like hyper stylized cityscapes and like mm-hmm. really beautiful colors. Whereas in Survivor, it it is this like synth wave, like like that cliche. If you like Google like eighties synth wave, like those like <laughs> lines pop up. But in Survivor, yeah. it's just taken to like the next level, and it's so beautiful and so immersive when you are flying uh, through. Thank um, you. Yeah, That's you talk not about... me. That's Forrest. Like... <laughs> <laughs> well he's not here so i'm gonna give you credit <laughs> well yeah tell me about yeah. some of some of the artist art inspirations behind uh survivor like some of your input on it oh well like like all the artists i know we just abuse pinterest aaron has oh, yeah. <laughs> aaron has a pinterest board for um all of the influences that he has for the visuals for the game and um like me as an artist like uh i just always have to kind of guess what he likes so Mm -hmm. yeah just kind of go into the deep dives and so like um like i talk about this with him often because i don't i'm trying to i'm i'm my arms are getting better i'm trying to play more video video games and i'm trying to ask like what are some games that I can add to my visual library, but it's been like a very big learning curve for me uh, to, yeah, adapt to the art style of Flip 5 because um, I I don't know if you guys know, but the way that I started working for Flip Fly was like, I just tweeted like, hey guys, I'm literally so unemployed right now. Someone please hire me. <laughs> and it was just... um. <laughs> Yeah, not the unemployment um, part but like the, <laughs> the story <laughs> yeah and like i just um i just posted some work that i did for my final year in university and it was uh it just so happened that aaron was working on another game at, at the time uh it's not it's not released or anything um we just kind of put that on the back burner for now to focus on whisper squadron um sure. yeah it's like a fishing game it's kind of like animal crossing like inspired and so that was i I, think that was the style that he wanted and luckily he liked me enough to keep me on (laughs) for the rest (laughs) for the all the other games and um yeah so i'm still learning a lot but um i feel like for whistle squadron a lot of our influence comes from this other guy that um did some artwork for us space goose on um instagram and twitter and so he's known for making these really beautiful line drawings of um spaceships that's inspired from daily objects so he would turn like a jar of vaseline into a spaceship like um, cool yeah if you guys have you guys have time later you guys should take a look it's very beautiful and yeah so like aaron made like a whole ass shader to like try to copy like what um, Space Goose's final illustrations look like. And so that's the... We just, like, took that and ran with it, and now it's in all of our levels. 
Hell yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. it really is beautiful. It's like paying off and like, yeah, this thing. I, I primarily have been playing on Steam Deck and even on the deck, it's just pops off the screen. Mm-hmm. And it's really yeah. cool. Yeah, no, um, people in games, they're magicians. I don't know how they do it. Um, yeah, like they, they, like Aaron and the rest of the team, they're just able to take a shitty drawing <laughs> I've done and then just <laughs> make it so pretty and like animated. And I'm like, ooh, I contributed like 1% to that. So like, it's beautiful. Yeah. Hey, without that 1%. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> it's integral. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Angela, can you uh, discuss the uh, switch uh, of prioritizing survivors over Galaxy or AKA the Spacey Space Game? Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) So I think during the um, development of Spacey Space Galaxies, uh, (laughs) we really started to deviate and it's really just became clear that an on-rail shooter needed to be its own function. So we're still working on galaxies that's still going to be released, but we felt that it made more sense to break apart the space adventure game and then Mm. the on-rail shooter. Sweet. Yeah. Was it a, was it a tough decision to kind of like go into this new project and put Whistler Squadron galaxies like on, not on the back burner, but like prioritize the new vision of it first before uh, galaxies like was there ever the idea of like getting galaxies out the door first and then do survivor yeah i think there was a lot of discussion about that um feel free to jump in jenner or chell um i i came on after the decision had already been made so i wasn't part of those discussions um mm. but from my understanding of the situation and even what it is now is you know we had um, a Kickstarter and we really wanted to make sure we're still, um, fulfilling all of our Kickstarters, uh, promises that we've made to them. So a lot of the things that were promised with Whisker Squadron Galaxies, they're also getting for a survivor. They're still getting a key for both games and we're getting all of those backers in the credits and all of that fun stuff. So yeah. I think, um, cause I, I kind of remember some of this, but essentially, uh, game development is, very rarely a point A to point B kind of road. It's a lot of things where you you tweak and you find things. Because I, I remember earlier in, in playtesting, I'm like, wow, I feel like you run out ammo like super fast. And it was really frustrating. <laughs> and and so, you know, we, we took a lot of time to tweak things. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we have like this idea of this big campaign that's promised in, in, in the Kickstarter that we said. And and a lot of influences where with with like Star Fox and like sort of maybe things like say the Spire where you're like okay you're gonna pick different nodes to go to, um, right. and so like that's like we're we're, st- we're gonna we're gonna do that so we're not we're not scrapping any of that work oh, of course but a lot of I think partially was just like when playing around with level builders and stuff like that not that I had anything to do with this part it was just fun to just have like the sort of like what if you got upgrades during the flight instead of like between levels? What if you, mm-hmm. what if things like got harder in the middle of like flight? And then I think different things like that. And so this whole conversation mm-hmm. of like, should we have an endless mode, like an endless runner mode, uh, like a sur- mm-hmm. like a survivor mode? <laughs> and so then it was like, a discussion as well as like trying to figure out 
what 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 do we do and 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 actually also i i do remember like a lot of like uh aaron was was fussing about with different shaders we're like what do we want the game's final art style to look like and there are so many things like it, like i remember looking at this sort of neon synthwave vibe and like wow that looks so cool even though it probably doesn't look like the main game and now we have two games and so um i guess it was like it just made sense to be like this is a much more streamlined right. uh product in the sense of like it's you go and you go as long as you can and if you win <laughs> then you're a super cool guy uh yeah. and if not well tough luck this game's hard. um and so we figured I, I if i'm under the impression the correct impression we figured that it would it would make sense to do this as its own separate game instead of like a tacked on mode um okay. give it the time and love it needs to be super kick ass and mm-hmm. when a, a lot of like there's going to be a lot of game development smart game development uses a lot of <laughs> the same assets and things like that which is why they're making a breath of the wild 2 instead of a brand new new zelda um you oh. just reuse a lot of the uh, things that you you can and so we're we're basically refining a lot of the core gameplay stuff through whisper squadron survivor and making it it's, it's get it gets prettier every time i look at it um yeah it does <laughs> Great job, Jane. And so, no, when we, is not me. Hey, you're part of it. You're own it, own it, you you, you nerd. If um, I'm not mistaken, you said one percent. That one percent counts. Are you, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag the one percent. Um, so yeah, we're we're I just uh, draw the we, berries, and then I leave. They're now they're now wives. Um, but essentially, yeah, we're we're making the gameplay uh very streamlined and 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 tweaking all of the the balance stuff because i remember being like this shotgun is can't hit anything it's too <laughs> and then so we you know a lot of things like the stuff like I, I like to give a lot of feedback but i'm by no means like a gameplay designer i just have a lot of opinions about things um oh, and i guess once the game is shipped which we're we're set to launch this year i'm under the impression right yeah yep. okay mm-hmm. uh yes. then we're gonna do the cool big spacey space game. I hate that yeah. I'm saying that. <laughs> no, I, well, I, I, I want to keep I did, uh, spacey space. I did double check spacey space galaxy.com is available. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> uh, you know, this, this video is not going to publish for another 20 days. So you got time. <laughs> yeah. This call has been really productive. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, so thank you so much for taking our meeting. You can join our sprint. Staff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Another uh, quick question: What is, who is your favorite uh, pilot to use in Worcester Squadron uh, Survivors? Ooh, uh, I love Max because Max. I, Max. I like Max. getting Max. options. Max. 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 And I don't know why, but I just feel like when I have four options instead of three, I'm more likely to get the oh. upgrades that I want, i.e., magnet, as soon as possible. Oh my god! Yes, yeah, sweet. I haven't played anyone except for Olivia. Max. <laughs> okay, I'll try. I'll try Max better. Uh, maybe I'll be better at the at the game if I play it with Max. Max <laughs> is, who's your favorite to draw? Max. I'm sorry. Max. So easy. He's Max. so easy to draw. His name's um, influence was I. I liked Baymax, and he's so big and fat. Oh, oh, and I was oh like, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Ross is um, because I liked Porco Rosso. Um, oh, yes. Because yes. you, know you know, he's kind of like a little bit of a pick me boy, you know, with his jazzy. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, um, just like the, <laughs> um, aviator, like 1950s outfit. And then Olivia's just based on a friend's cat. What about Gigi? Olivia. Command, oh, uh, Gigi? Command, uh, control. Gigi has like, Gigi, I was like, I forgot. I'm so sorry, Gigi. I, I'll come up with a better backstory for you. But I just, yeah, I just wanted to make. <laughs> oh, wait, no, I think it was like, I think it was an Animal Crossing character. as a, Oh. Aww. Yeah. Don't tell Nintendo that. No. Yeah, oops. <laughs> They're come knocking. <laughs> yes. But yeah, um, Aaron says I should design more characters. So there are more furries to come. Yes. <laughs> Always bring on the furries. Give the people what they want. Give the people what they want. That's all they want. Uh, Next after Galaxy is going to be a dating sim. (laughs) Hey, uh, we we have officially canonized that Olivia and Gigi are dating. We've done it. They are they're lesbians and they're in love. Hell yeah! Oh man, confirmed. I could go back ten years in time to tell past me what I'm doing for my job right now. Drink gay cats for a living. Hell yeah! Yeah. What else do you need in life? <laughs> Nothing. I'm so good. I could die now. Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I guess, Angela, I'll ask you the big question. Uh, when oh, no. can people play <laughs> Whisker Squadron Survivor and where could they play it? Well, right now you can play the demo. It is live on Steam and we are Steam Deck verified for those of you that love that platform. We love you right back. Uh, <laughs> as far as the official release date, it hasn't truly been announced. We're hoping end of Q1, early Q2. So mm. it's going to be one of those things where it's soon. But you guys will be... Q1 some is of the... like in t- 30 days. I know it's <laughs> in 30 days. It keeps me up at no night. Pressure. Don't worry. Bye. I'm like, are you sure it's end of Q1? <laughs> It, it keeps yeah. extending every time I ask the team. It's like I thought it was like supposed to be Jan thirtieth, like um, last year. There is not a single game that launches when they say they're going to launch. I'm yeah. like when I when I work with clients, I ask them what their general timeline is. I'm like, yeah, we're going to try and launch like next this year in the future. I'm like, all right, I'll see you in four years. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, good thing there's no other video game coming out in March, so you're in the clear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell if that's for real or if there's a big launch that I'm missing. <laughs> um, and then Whisker Squadron Galaxies uh, later in 2024-ish. Ish, oh, yeah. Ish. 2024 Ish. or after. Unannounced yes. release date. <laughs> Unannounced release date. TBD. To, yes, TBD. Uh. You know, uh, thank you guys so much for hanging out. As a mm-hmm. Kickstarter backer for Whisker Squadron, I appreciate <gasps> you all greatly. I, it was a pleasure getting your email, Angela, and your submission for being part of the showcase. I was, I remember the day I saw that pop in, I texted Kyle. I was like, yo, you will fucking believe who just submitted for the showcase. <laughs> <laughs> so, pleasure having you guys. Uh, thank you so much. Of course. Um, thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you for yeah, having yeah, us. Thanks. It's nice to finally meet you in the face. I know. Person. <laughs> yeah. Behind the scenes, uh, Chell and I have been following each other for like years, and this is the first time oh, we've wow. actually talked to each other. <laughs> oh man, I, I just started like, listening to this so I can learn more about games. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, uh, like, subscribe, is. share, all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but more importantly, <laughs> but more importantly, <laughs> go play the Whisker Squadron Survivor demo. Wish yes. list it. 
and tell yes. your friends mm-hmm. all about it. Mm-hmm. Until yes. then, goodbye. Fly on. Yes. I don't know. I just I made a flex for three guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is good. Yeah. Trade mark that quick. <laughs> Talk to me, Space Goose. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to a mini indie showcase bonus content interview. Today, we are with Bastian Bernand, developer behind Splash. Hello, everyone. Yeah. Thanks for having Hello. me here. Yeah, thank of you for course. coming along. And of course, I'm Mike. Kyle's here, but we're not yeah. the important ones here. Nope. Mm-mm. You've got enough, enough of us during the showcase. Yeah, you got enough. <laughs> uh, Bastian, granted, we are filming this uh, a couple weeks before the showcase, but hey, how's it feel uh, showing your game to people? Uh, actually, it feels great. It's, it's, it's really cool to have opportunities like this. And I'm always glad to see people's feedback, to see... Uh, they say about the game uh, always a great uh, event like I, I like uh, the showcase like especially when there are interviews it's, uh, it's really fun yeah. thanks for, for yeah. making this of course absolutely. thanks for making the game yeah <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> speaking about the game I, I want to start off with a little bit about like uh, your journey as a game dev and Bevel Bakery uh, how did that all start yeah sure uh well um it all started well uh me and my two teammates uh victor and eloise uh we were in game design studies in our, in our city in lyon in france uh and uh, so clash was basically uh our second year project uh so we, we this was a time where we could propose projects like we wanted and i was like yeah I'm tired of making just demos and prototypes. I'm going to choose a small concept, but I'm going to make it from A to Z, and I'm not going to sell it. That was the idea and intention. And also we were like, yeah, and um, we were playing a lot of fighting games with friends at the time. We were like, how would, be, how would it be like if there was a fighting game where like, you could just attack and you would die in one hit? And like, kind of uh, a bit like how it's called... Um, the game where uh, Dropkick, uh, maybe you heard mm. about it. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we wanted to do something different, something more about souls and maybe with some parents and stuff. And so, yeah, the project continued in third year and uh, it scaled up a little. And also we, we didn't realize how much work it was to actually finish the game. Like, it's crazy. And we, <laughs> we're bad, so it takes more time. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it uh, we continued it after our studies. Uh, so we didn't actually make a studio uh, because that's really annoying thing to make it's also an administrative nightmare you have to have a vision for the next days we just wanted to you know we make clash with it we do something Absolutely. else with our lives yeah. and so we still have chose a name in the end because uh, we needed it for uh, with our partners our publishing partners uh, that we ended up having that helped us really uh, speed up things marketing and the romantic mm-hmm. stuff uh and so yeah we're here uh, it's almost four years later Hopefully it's going to come out this time because I'm <laughs> tired of it. <laughs> I like the game, but uh, really it's just like... Uh, I, I can't imagine. It, it's not yeah. moving fast because our code architecture is a nightmare, and so it's really annoying to make a new change there. And so, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's how we are. We are uh, nice. I'm personally more focused on art, game design, and development. Uh, but, uh, yeah, um, if we are three, we kind of had, you know, be uh, one-man armies, each, uh, each one. Uh, so we, we learned a lot on the way. I'm really glad uh, I acquired all the skills I have, even though I, I don't trust my skills in a professional environment. But, sure. uh, but uh, I mean, we got here, and so I'm glad nice. so far. I Absolutely. mean, you're you know you're close to four years in the making. How does it feel being near the finish line? Relieved, really. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, um, especially in this type of project, because it, it, I can't really say what it's be like uh, the experience of being 
an employee in a bigger studio working on just your tasks, you know, what you're doing. But yeah. when you've spent four years doing everything on the project, from marketing to development to the label icons for the, the, the controllers to uh, making sure all the characters in the font work well, to like, it's... <sighs> <laughs> I, I want the game to release. I, I like the game, but uh, yeah, sure. I, I, I really, I like it. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's been a lot of work, uh, unpaid work. So I, I really, <laughs> yeah. Even if it doesn't make money, I just want to to do something else in my life now. <laughs> yeah, I everybody can't imagine. buy this game. Yeah, I can't I, I imagine. Was, I was still making games, but yeah, just something else. <laughs> yeah, four years on editing is a lot of time. So like, I have the. We get that feeling. For oh yeah, that sure. was a mistake uh, for people listening. Here. Make smaller project, please. <laughs> Don't do that. No, actually, you know what? That was intention. It was supposed to be a small project, but we knew that fighting games were a lot. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what what made a, a a samurai fighting game so appealing? Like, why samurais? Uh, that's just a good question, actually, because we didn't think samurai stuff. Uh, the idea was this one hit KO uh, fighting game stuff, but um, wasn't samurai thing. But very quickly. We, we realized that it was fitting well. Like we weren't sure what theme to go with. We didn't have, we were confident in building a whole new theme or artistic direction at the time. We are like, let's go with Samurai. People like Samurai anyway, and it really fit this yeah. solemn, poetic, slow-paced fight where you kill in one shot. Like it all felt fitting very well. So we just chose it again, which really worked for. And it kind of paid off in the end because, like, since, you know, going back, like, thinking about the past almost four years, like, Sekiro is a massive game that people love. Obviously, yeah. it's like Ghost of Tsushima. Playing it currently is really cool. Ghost of Tsushima, yeah. yeah, amazing, too. So I think, yeah, you made the correct decision. Yeah. <laughs> I, I believe, too, in the end. Yeah. So take us back those four years. What were some of the key inspirations behind Slash? I mean, you were talking about a lot of, like, the fighting game inspirations, but... Yeah, I would just love to hear a little bit more about that. Uh, so yeah, um, those asp- inspirations for the mechanic and the intentions of the game design, we are really aiming at the coach fa- parties, fighting game side of uh, the spectrum. So we're talking Smash Bros, Samurai Gun, uh, Need Hug, uh, Two Strikes, who's kind of a concurrent actually. Uh, really good games like that that uh, we were playing at the time uh, yeah. between two classes we, we just connected the, the controllers and played some stuff and uh, so we are really to something uh, inspired by this but we are on twist we have notably the stamina mechanic that we didn't see anywhere else and so uh, yeah that's, that's where it came from as far as the theme and you know more quality art direction animation and stuff go um, then we we looked at uh, Definitely, uh, there are some scenes that you're going to see that's like, yeah, that's Sekiro, for example. Uh, Samurai Champloo, uh, also a big inspiration mm. as far as the color scheme, the, the anime feel of the game uh, goes. Mm. Um, uh, Okami, Eruiz uh, is a big fan yeah. of him, actually, so she's put a lot of it in, in the game, and uh, I'm all for it. So, yeah, and so some, a few Samurai movies that we saw also for the aesthetic, but since we we're kind of not very realistic looking. I mean, it's not cartoonish, but uh, it's very different still. But they were inspiration, of course. Uh, yeah. And um, yeah, that's it. And since we um, we had to make the characters, you know, have just 
each they want fighting style with very marked different stances and uh, and their position. And they want an animation fighting style, but they only want one hit. It's not like they could do chain hit and stuff like samurai would do stuff. We also had to distinguish a little ourselves from actual samurai fights uh, in terms of how the movements were done. Because of course, what our characters are doing is absolutely not uh, what the samurai would tell how they move. But we we, we try to take it for inspiration. Yeah, sweet. Uh, you, you mentioned Okami from like the look of the game. Uh, how, what made the uh, decision to go hand drawn, and how tough is it doing a hand drawn <laughs> kind of thing for a game? Uh, it's an interesting question. Uh, it's kind of like the samurai theme. Actually, the hand drawn look wasn't decided. It just it, it just happened. Just happens. Yeah. Uh, at one point, <laughs> we were like, "Hey, this looks a little like this. we should embrace this style." And that's actually um, a style that I like because both that's how I paint usually when I do two D art. I really like. I have inspirations of artists like Vlop or Nixu, and so I don't know if it's gonna be familiar to you, but these are artists that a lot of their details are just, you know, rushed over and stuff, but in the right way so that it looks good. And mm-hmm. so that's how I paint. And it also, it's transpired in the game, even if I didn't try to make a hand drawn look, you know, even though after that I impressed it. Uh, and, uh, and and also making hand-drawn is a kind of easier choice, you see, because uh, you don't have to... It's um, I don't want it to sound like it's, it's, you know, it's kind of uh, when people say, yeah, pixel art is easy, so I'm going to make pixel art. It's not that. It's just that it's faster. You don't have to finish the, the assets, you know. You know. Sometimes assets are finished, and I will do dirty mm-hmm. brush strokes over them to make them sure. look okay. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of... It's all a blurry mess of brush strokes that we try to control. It needs to be balanced and look good. And but uh, it, it's a it's very interesting thing because all the assets need to blur into each other, but also have some contrast. But it really helps with playing however we want with the colorimetry, with uh, the blending of animations that look rough, but it's okay because it's the style and. Uh, and also, uh, people will be more accepting of a lower frame rate for the animation to the character with such a style. Uh, in, but overall, it's a really nice aesthetic that uh, I actually really enjoyed working with. And I think uh, my teammates did as well. And it's it's not too challenging uh, as far as uh, I felt it in my experience. Like, But uh, yeah, I'm an artist, so uh, maybe I don't realize. Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm interested so hearing that uh, like you talk about like the lower frame rate and how it's like a little more forgivable and um even like the brush strokiness and how that leans into the aesthetic and i like that you are you kind of utilize the for lack of a better term like roughness even though the game i think looks gorgeous um to really play into the art style but how tricky is it to find that balance of like that aesthetic that doesn't need to be frame perfect with a fighting game because like fighting games are usually like so precise like I'm just curious, like if there were any challenges behind that. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, well, that that ties into another question regarding the game. Actually, is that um, Clash is not a competitive fighting game. Sure. Uh, that was not our intention. I mean, we wouldn't mind if it was, but uh, in our intention to make it some form of you know more entry game into the fighting game genre, while keeping you know it's classic. There's no, it's not a Smash Bros. Somewhere you're gonna see two fighters, you know, etc. Mm-hmm. But uh, we made it more casual, made it more simple, a few mechanics and stuff. And of course, it's it's not as deep as Street Fighter. 
Uh, it's not complex, it's not as tight as it is, but it's okay because we're not aiming for it to be played at Evo. So uh, as long as people are having fun and from what we've been testing, there are, you know, coach fighting game, five minutes with your friend on the sofa, short game and stuff. The objective is not to grind, watch YouTube videos, train, right. know the frame that of the character. <laughs> but no, mm-hmm. we, we did our best for it to, to be sure. tight and to be animations, to be, you know, uh, ter- well telegraphed, have a nice reason and stuff. And we tried to do our work well. But yeah, we, we are not uh, like developers of actual big fighting games. So of course, it's not going to be maybe as uh, controlled and these points that they are. But I don't want to say that we did not control that. We did. We sure, sure did. And not still uh, oh, trying to adjust uh, the frame data mm-hmm. of characters and stuff. That's music to my ears. I, I'm more of a casual person. Oh, so abs- like everything. Oh my God, this sounds perfect. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, we've heard a lot of people were like, yeah, fighting games are too complex for us. And yeah. I feel it myself when I play a game like Street Fighter Mortal Kombat. Even though I, for example, I love Smash Bros. But I play games yeah. like Street Fighter Mortal Kombat. I'm like, I feel like I don't control what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you're uh, like you just... Yeah, and even even when I move my character, I feel like it's not moving how I want it to. You know? yeah. And so we wanted to do something where you would control what you're doing from the get-go. You don't scratch and, okay, you have to understand a little, you do a few rounds, stuff, and now you're like, okay, I know how to play. I know how it works. Yeah. So how how important is that uh, style of game, like the be able just to pick up and play simple button presses to just video games as a whole? Like sitting down on a couch with somebody and playing a game like this, how important is that for you to make something like that? Well, um, I feel like in a lot of fighting games uh, in general, and that might be for performance reasons, not that I'm three years into making you realize Clash is not optimized, Um I have a lot of loading t- uh, loading times, actually. You choose your characters, and you choose the map, and loading time. Uh, introductions to a cutscene, you fight. Uh, and loading time, second round, and then you fight, loading time, back to the menu. So. And yeah, we we try to do a formula that's, that we can do because there are less characters, less maps and stuff. Uh, that just, uh, once you've loaded the game and you're in the main menu, you can just press play. And then you're on the arena, and you just choose a character, and that's it. You go. Uh, and then uh, you press restart in two seconds, and that's it. You're in the, the, the next uh, round. And we've seen people really uh, chain rounds uh, do, uh, from game to game, uh, just continue playing because it's kind of addictive since it's, uh, you know, fights to last like for two, three minutes. And then you, you, I mean, they can be longer depending on the players, but uh, then you know, you just do another one, it's fast, and uh, it's really, really important for us. Uh, I think it works well. It ties well with yeah. the casual, uh, you know, casual plug and play uh, intentions mm-hmm. that we have. Uh. How how long uh, has been the most intense battle of Slash, of like uh, testing? Uh, like how long has it gone? I'm not sure actually, uh, because we usually we usually play with uh, you know best of uh, best of nine, okay. so like the first to five. Uh, but you can put up to like fifty sure. rounds if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I'm not sure I recall where the duration there's usually a few minutes uh, okay uh, yeah just being like a one hit kill kind of thing like I can just tell yeah. just how tense those battles will be 36 hours <laughs> 36 hours <laughs> <laughs> we, actually, we actually put an achievement recently to like if you do a game that lasts for 20 minutes then you're like oh god play oh, wrong okay. <laughs> <laughs> cool um do you have a campaign uh, plan for Slash, or is it yeah. just a straight-up arcade fighter? 
No, uh, it was intended as an arcade fighter, but it's a campaign, actually. Uh, We decided to add uh, a little later because we felt like the game would be a little too small if there weren't a campaign and players, they wouldn't be able to enjoy much single-player content because there would be just uh, an AI and that's it. Uh, So, yeah, I wanted to make a campaign. Uh, It turns out the game was... We did not originally thought up to, to make a, a solo mode for finding games, so that was quite a hassle. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we figured it out. It's, uh, it's more of a beat them up format. Uh, you know, it's not just one fight and then another, like you know, Street Fighter, for example, or you know, in uh, Soul Calibur. Uh, yeah. It's uh, actually you move between areas, you fight in the middle of the way, it's some narration. We try to do something. Uh, I think it's fine, it's decent. Uh, with uh, bonus mods, you can play, uh, uh, like, should last one hour. That's uh, the, the campaign oh, we're cool. for to discover the story of the characters, uh, yeah. have some progression, have some tutorial too for the players. Because even if it's a game that's simple to understand, it's, you know, it's always good to have somewhere you can go Absolutely. back to. Yeah. And, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like how Mortal Kombat approaches their campaign nowadays. It very much feels like it's teaching you how to play the game for, like, multiplayer and whatnot yeah unlike smash bros for example where the game doesn't smash, tell you yeah. anything uh and you just have to figure it out yourself yeah. <laughs> yeah uh what has been uh your favorite memory of this kind of game as a gamer yourself um yeah really just playing uh on sofa Smash, Smash Bros. duels with friends and yeah. just, you know, uh, doing rounds and uh, yeah. giving the controller to the other one. And, and sometimes you're like, yeah, hey, let's do a 2v2 and uh, you play 2v2 and then you're like, yes, add objects. And uh, mm-hmm. very fun experience so far. And then Absolutely. we switched to another fighting game and uh, overall, yeah, pretty good moments. Sweet. Well, I have a very important question before we wrap up with you. Well, two questions. What is the Smash Brothers of choice? Which is your favorite uh, game? Oh, oh. Uh, and basic bit, but that's ultimate. I think it's. Uh, okay. I, I started. That with, was great. I actually started with Brawl. Uh, Interesting. I played so much of it. Uh, <laughs> so, like my brother, single player, or anything, everything. I love this game. And and then I play with you a lot. I loved it as well. And uh, and ultimate, is, I feel like it's just a combination of uh, all their knowledge and fighting games, Smash Bros. And it's it's really Smash Bros. Ultimate. It's really my favorite. Mm-hmm. It's the most pleasant yeah. to play. The most characters and stuff is real cool. So the second important question: Who's your main? Uh, I main Shik, and I regret it. Oh, why do you regret <laughs> it? Uh, because Shik is such. I love playing with Shik. It's such a good feeling. You know, it's a. Um, it's really agile. It's fast. You. It's. It feels so balanced. You know, there's no bullshit move. You just. It's just you and you, it's just you and your skill. You see. Yeah. And uh, the problem is, character sucks. Basically, it's. It doesn't <laughs> hit hard at all. So I switched to Palutena, like the third okay. best character of the game. It's just stronger. That's right. I thought I was basic because I used to I used to main Mario and now I just main Pikachu. I get a little sometimes I get a little spicy and I'll, I'll main uh, Banjo, but those are my three. Uh, Banjo, you say yeah. those are basic. I, I I'm Kirby and Samus. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> I think those are okay. as basic. Yeah, that's, as basic that's basic too. Yeah. Uh, I gotta yeah, agree yeah. with that. <laughs> well, Bastian, it was lovely talking to you. Uh, Slash, when can people play it? Where can people play it? They can play on Steam. There's a free demo available to everyone. Uh, you can wish list it as well. You can join our Discord if they want to talk with us or find opponents to play because that's all online in the demo, but you can use, you know, Barsec or we will play it if you want to find people to play with. You can always come. 
uh, there's a few people over there and uh yeah uh that's it i think cool it's coming sweet. in 2023 2023 uh, that's for sure uh, cool sweet hell yeah well, everybody, thank you for listening or watching to this uh, mini indie showcase post-show content. If you don't know what the mini indie showcase is, head on over to 61indie.com slash showcase or youtube.com slash 61indie and give it a watch. We showed off 33 incredible looking indie games, including Slash. And uh, yeah, wishlist the games. Thank you very much for favorite. having me. It was really fun talking to you guys. Uh, yeah, of course. I hope the event goes well. Of course it will go well. Uh, a pleasure to be part of it. We'll see. Thank you. <laughs> Farewell. Hello and welcome to another 6-1 Indie Mini Indie Showcase post-show conversation. Mike here, Kyle here, and I'm with Johannes, developer behind Slope Crashers. Hello, sir. How are you? Yes, I'm I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you doing? Oh, you know, pretty great. living. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Excited to chat with the person behind our one more thing of the showcase. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Now, just tell me a bit about yourself. Tell me your game dev story. My tell game dev story. story. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, I kind of did like the, like, I went into programming because I always wanted to make games. Um, but immediately when I started with programming and started to try working in games or like as a hobby, I immediately noticed I cannot do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's way too difficult so i kind of abandoned that for for a little while um and only like years and years later came back to it um i would say maybe i evolved a bit with my skills but i think it's mostly the tools like this was when like unreal engine 4 became free i was like okay i tried it now mm-hmm. yeah. and yeah starting with that i kind of like put in lots and lots of hours into that because it was just like fun experimenting with this whole thing and yeah, I started dabbling around making, um, like my first idea was a survival game that I, that I wanted to do. And after two years, I was like going nowhere. <laughs> so I was like, okay, let's, let's <laughs> do something small first. So I did some, some smaller mobile games and stuff. And yeah, at some point I was like, okay, I think I'm ready again for something bigger. And I started working on slope crashes, um, yeah, because I really like these types of games, and there are none. So I thought, okay, yeah. <laughs> let's go, <laughs> let's do this. Yeah. yeah, it it's a it's a shame that something that I, I think we all grew up loving from the Cool Borders to the SSX to the 1080, it seems like we are devoid of snowboard games, and it's so sad. And so yeah. when we saw when we saw Slope Crash, we're like, yes, please. When like yeah, immediately, obviously, we all grew up loving you know snowboard games such as like SSX 1080 Snowboard Kids, uh, Cool Borders from the PS1 back in the day. What made you uh, want to hop in and make your own like love letter to snowboard and extreme sports games? Um, yeah, I, I guess it starts with Snowboard Kids because that was one of the three games that that we had as uh, as kids on the N64, and we had to play that for years and. Luckily, mm-hmm. it was a very fun game. <laughs> yes. So um, we played it a lot. And uh, I don't know. It's just like never kind of. Uh, I always played it again and again. And um, I always searched for another game like this. And um, there are some games that come a little bit close, like other snowboarding games. But maybe it's just the, the mashup of like kart racing and snowboarding for me. Mm. Kind of mm-hmm. that does it for me. And there is just nothing like that. Um, but I also really like um, 
the SSX games and especially all the physics in the SSX games. Like, um, I don't know. Uh, I came very late into that genre, like into that franchise, unfortunately, and I like played them in reverse. Um, but it's like every time you go like in a looping or something, it's like, oh my God, this is so good. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, so I thought, okay, I want a game like Snowball Kids again, um, but I want to make it way like more dynamic like the other like ssx games for example and that is kind of how i started and yeah i mean it's it's been five years <laughs> oh wow so yeah it's it's it has been a while so yeah i'm a i'm a solo dev of this project um and the first thing i did was kind of was the physics and that took a while but not too long um but yeah after that, um, all the like uh, art and stuff was something I, I didn't know anything about because, as I mentioned, I came from programming. And so I started like I started the game very like, OK, that's easy. A snowboarding game, there's not much to it. There's like a little bit of snow, a little bit of rocks, a few trees here and there. And I can do that. My art skills will probably do that. And very quickly, I realized if I only focus on these three types of assets, then it's very boring. And <laughs> I went way overboard with, you probably, in this, you saw the trailer, like it's like in, oh, yeah. in cities and, and desert and everything. And that's kind of the explanation why it's taking so long. <laughs> but I'm coming to the finish line now with the game. Hell that's yeah. awesome. I mean, that's kind of the cliche with any creative project. It's like a project is never done. Oh, yeah. Like you're oh, just yeah. going to keep adding stuff. That is very so true. Are you doing the art yourself as well? Yeah. I mean, for somebody who didn't come from an art background, the game is gorgeous. Like, yeah. even the key Thank art behind you. you is, like, so beautiful. Okay. <laughs> I'm not doing the key art. <laughs> okay. Well, the game itself is beautiful as well. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. yeah um, but it evolved. Uh, like, uh, you can you can see, like, I have been posting a lot about the game since the start, kind of. Yeah. And it's very interesting comparing. I think the best comparison is on the YouTube channel because every year I re uh, release a trailer and it's it's insane how different it looked a few years ago versus how it looks now. And I think it's definitely for the better that I took my time with it. Um, but I'm also very excited for finishing it up. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's where I first caught wind of you and Slow Crushers. I think I, think I saw like one of your tweets going around two years ago or something at this point it must have been like i think it was like right after lockdown or something i was like oh my god this person is doing the damn thing i was so excited and i'll never forget the reaction i had with kyle when i saw your submission come in for the showcase i was like kyle you're not gonna believe what fucking game came in and i was so excited i was like this has to be like unless something unless we get like hollow knight or some shit this is the one more thing like we mm -hmm. have to end with this because people are gonna freak out that like an ssx is back that a, a snowboard kids is back um so you're, you're doing you're doing it that's awesome yeah. yeah i was so happy when you sent me the mail like oh my god <laughs> i was excited <laughs> wait <laughs> really <laughs> that was really I, cool. that's, been, that's been the yeah. fun thing is like we're just like indie game fans and it's just nice yeah. that like everybody's just excited to help each other out mm -hmm. <laughs> and Absolutely. just like help out the scene that's awesome yeah. <laughs> i i want to ask you uh i mean we see a couple behind you the cute animals Oh, how how early into the 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 development of it did you decide to make these cute animals as the characters that are snowboarding? So it was actually uh, I decided that from the beginning. Um, the reason is not because 
uh, I want to have animals in the game because animals are always great. But the uh -huh. reason was I cannot model humans. It doesn't work. <laughs> like it doesn't work. <laughs> so I thought, okay. So I, I try. What was the first thing I modeled? I think it was the lemur. Um, That's my character. Was, That's my character of choice. Awesome. <laughs> Mine too. And yeah. It was looking very derpy. But it was very. That was. I thought. Okay, that's that's fine. I mean, it's an yeah. animal. I mm -hmm. mean, they look even better if they're looking derpy. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of went with that, and I have this thing where I think that's a good idea at first, and then it just becomes way more work, because when I didn't think about that, I have like eight different animals now in the game, and all of these are so different that I cannot reuse any of these animations for any character. And it's like, oh my God, I really didn't know. <laughs> I didn't think. <laughs> well, now you know for Slope Crashers too. That is true, but I don't think I want to go back to humans or anything. I think this is way too fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think even the animals, like when I initially saw Slope Crashers again, like years ago or whatever, like I got the SSX vibes, I got the the Snowboard Kids vibes, but I also got the Diddy Kong Racing vibes, and I don't know if that was purposeful. And even after playing the game, it's like, oh yeah, this kart racing feels like Diddy. Like it doesn't feel like Mario Kart; it feels like Diddy Kong Racing, which is another kind of type of kart racer that doesn't exist anymore. It's like a very specific kind of feel, and I think you're like I don't know if it's purposeful or not, but you capture that spirit of like the rare, uh, like the developer rare. I, I, kind I of think. Kart racing. I think I recently kind of discovered what it is because I have gotten this before. It was not really my intention, but I think what it is, the the added freedom on top of the kart racing, because yeah. Diddy Kong is also very like, you have a lot of freedom in that game. And in Mario Kart, you don't really have that because every single place that you can drive to, Nintendo knows that you, can, you are driving there. And... And there are sections where you glide, there are sections where you jump or do a stunt, and there are sections where you drive or drift. That's about yeah. it. And it's good for what it is. Oh, of but, course. Um, yeah, I think with slope crashes, I add like a lot of dynamic to everything. Like you can do a stunt all the time. It probably won't work out for you if you do it like on a straightaway with no ramp or anything, but you can do it. <laughs> and if you pull it off, then uh, it's a reward for you because then you yeah. get boosts. So, yeah. It's probably that uh, in a, uh, like a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's, I think you're right. Yeah. It's that kind of freedom that like, okay, I could go left where like, it's kind of like a straightaway, but there's a rail on the right. And I could try to like get that like grind and get that little initial boost that maybe it's like a longer path. But if I get that boost, I'll sneak out ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's like pretty, uh, pretty brilliant. Does, it makes uh, it more fun. Does each character have like their own like uh, move set, like a special move or whatnot? Yeah, they all have their own stunts and Sweet. also their their special stunts and 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 stuff. But I'm still like working a little bit more on this whole trick system because uh, so many playtesters come from SSX or from Skate now, and yeah. they like mm -hmm. they want way more stuff. They want like because I I thought okay. Uh, this is a very simple. Um, let's just do like one button is like a trick, and it just chooses random tricks. And mm -hmm. th through two playtests, it already evolved so that you can kind of set the controls so that you choose your tricks. And now there's like I don't know eight directions, so eight tricks. And now I'm enhancing it even more, so there's like wow. way more stuff to do. Wow. Um, 
Yeah, also I have to add this one trick now. Um, the Christ Air. I don't know if you know the Christ yeah, Air. Yeah, absolutely, I know the Christ um, Air. <laughs> I I recently like stumbled into like a into a TikTok rabbit hole where people atheist, are just atheists wouldn't believe this, and then yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's like yeah. the the Jesus dressed character and skate doing the Christ yep. Air, and then uh, some people requested on my TikTok that I add uh, like <laughs> that I add uh, what's it called on TikTok the Steezus. I should add yeah. him to the game. And I was like, okay, I gave the, the Capybara a T-post and I did this in a trick and I made a video and it said like more than a million views now. I'm like, okay, I have to add this now. So funny enough, I uh, I was telling Kyle last night, I don't know if you saw on TikTok as well, Capybara is really big on TikTok right now. Yeah. So I was yeah. like, oh man, like between like the Chrysler thing and Capybaras, you got yourself a fucking hit. <laughs> <laughs> like you're a sure on success. Yeah, but it's interesting. Like I have, like Capybara is always like kind of a meme animal for like the last few years. Yeah. And it was like a meme already like a year ago. And I was co posting consistently there and the algorithm was like, no, not having it. <laughs> and now I'm posting it and it's like going crazy. And people are, are complaining in the comments, oh, the meme is dead, the meme is dead. I'm like, well, it looks like well, it is. Fine. <laughs> I don't give me know. Views. It's fine. I'll give a shit. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> so you um you just said like some of your testers are coming from like SSX or skate, like more of these like simulation, like loose simulation kind of like extreme sports games. We uh we chatted with uh the developer Pine Slash, another game in the showcase. And he was kind of explaining the similar kind of thing where like Splash is more akin to Smash Brothers, where it's a more simplified fighting game. Um, whereas like a lot of the testers or a lot of people were they wanted something like Street Fighter or something a little more in depth. Um, it sounds like you're kind of sort of embracing the the skate, I guess, comments or whatever. Like, is it a challenge to try to like flesh out that moveset even more? It is, um, in a way, because I don't want to make it more complicated for beginner players. Yeah, that yeah. is kind of, um, yeah, that's like the, the probably the hardest thing I'm I'm trying to tackle with the game is uh, there's the skill entry to be very low but have a very high skill ceiling, and yeah, there's always like so many learnings I have to do, and and most of the learnings come from watching Twitch streams that of players playing the demo or something. Uh, which can be really frustrating. <laughs> of course. But I'm really like, that's kind of the most helpful thing in YouTube videos to see where people are struggling and how can I explain the game better? Because the game is not difficult at all. But oh, no. it can be very overwhelming if you, like, for example, my first tutorial that I made for the game, people said that that is like the end boss. They can't they can't finish the tutorial. The, the game is way easier than the tutorial. I'm like, what the, what did I do? <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of learnings around that, um, and also like some some settings. Like the game even asks you in the beginning now um, if you want like if you want more of a racer setting or like a trickster setting. Yeah, it's like more Mario Kart to like SSX games kind of. And for the simple setting, I keep like this random grab on on the other thing. It's like hey, choose your tricks however you want. Um, oh, smart. But yeah, um, it's difficult uh, trying to make a game fit multiple audiences. But yeah, I, I, we'll yeah. see. Maybe I get there. <laughs> I, 
think no, I think yeah, having that playstyle choice is probably the way to go. I mean, granted, at the end of the day, you can't please everybody. Like that's mm-hmm. just, it is what it is. Yeah, but um, I've noticed that mechanic recently, or like that setting recently. And Kyle's gonna laugh at me because I always bring up this franchise. But uh, Sonic Frontiers, for example, like brought on the uh, <laughs> shut up, Kyle. Uh, <laughs> had like I forgot what they called it, but it was like, oh, you're a veteran Sonic fan that knows how to like move fast and all that stuff, or you want the more basic just run kind of thing and um, uh yeah yeah i think i love that modifier you're a veteran sonic you know how to move fast (laughs) (laughs) i forgot exactly what it says but yeah no i know i know um so i think that would work very well in an extreme sports like game that like yeah you tailor to the skate folks but you also tailor to the car racers Yeah. yeah yeah cool well uh I, we're gonna end with like the the cliche like oh where where can you play it and whatnot but you said something earlier you said snowboard kids was one of three n64 games what were the other two n64 Ooh, games yeah it was mario kart 64 of course Sweet. and mario 64 <laughs> nice oh, yeah. that's a great those three are, games yeah those are good three games to keep you occupied for sure yeah, yeah it was only, definitely yeah. was like uh um uh, a lot of my childhood, th- those free games, and it's it's funny because like it took me years to finish these games. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, yeah, especially back in the day, Mario sixty four is a daunting task. Trying yeah, to get all the definitely. Stars. Or I remember Snowboard Kids. That was the only game that needed a memory pack, and we didn't have a memory pack. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and we also got like the Nintendo sixty four so late in the life cycle that you couldn't buy anything anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. eBay and stuff came later, but sure. mm-hmm. um, I didn't have a memory pack. And I also didn't know that the game had way more content than the game shows. So you have to <laughs> unlock stuff. And yeah. every time I played the game, I was kind of like speed running it to complete all the gold medals. And it was like after years of playing this game, suddenly I unlocked another track. I was like, wait, what the heck? And it like opened a new, <laughs> a new layer to the game. And then starting from then on, I, yeah, every day I had to speed run the game again and try to like get to the next one and finish it. <laughs> so yeah. That's incredible. That, that reminds me of like when I, uh, when I was younger, before I owned my own system, we were able to rent like a PlayStation from a Blockbuster. Yeah. And I would bring home Crash Bandicoot as the one game. And I would constantly keep playing the first few levels because I didn't. It didn't come with a memory card, <laughs> so every time I would have to turn the system off, I'd have to restart the whole thing over and over and over again. So when I saw, when I finally owned my own, I saw more, there was more to this game than that first few area. I'm like, whoa, this is crazy! How <laughs> how big is this game? <laughs> God, yeah. I didn't realize we shared that in common because, like, when I bought my PS2, I got the PS2 crash, and I didn't know the PS1 oh. memory cards didn't work with PS2. Yeah. So I left my PS2 on and I eventually burnt wow. it out. <laughs> wow. Yeah. No. <laughs> so instead of spending however much on a memory card, I had to buy a new console. <laughs> or my mom did. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, Johannes, I don't want to keep you too long. Uh, when, where could people play Slope Crashers? When can people potentially play it? No pressure and all that, all that stuff. Where can people follow the snowboarding journey? Oh, good. Um, it's uh, right now as a demo on Steam. I really like getting feedback through that and just like refining the core gameplay by letting as many players as they want to play the game. So the demo is online now. Um, and yeah, so Slow Critters on Steam and I am working on console versions perhaps. Um, nothing to announce there yet, but kind of. Uh, definitely, I, it feels like the game should be on console, but yeah, um, it's 
I don't know when it's when it will be done. Um, I'm aiming towards the end of this year right now. But yeah, it's also like kind of a a hobby thing still. Like I still don't have oh, a publisher course. or anything. So it's just like how, whatever time I can come up with, I work on the game and yeah. So that is that. And if you like want to stay up to date with the game, I don't know. I feel like I'm posting probably most on Twitter and TikTok and uh, at ByteParrot. And I even like stream sometimes the development on my Twitch channel. Um, yeah, it's all on the Steam page. Um, I think that's the easiest way <laughs> to find stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, while you're on the Steam page, wishlist slope crashers. Oh, Goes yeah. Long way. yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, followed by Pirate everywhere. Watch the streams, play the demo. The demo is great. Like genuinely, I have, I've been having such a blast playing the demo. I've been playing on Steam Deck. Play, runs oh, great yeah. Deck. Oh, yeah. It's so fun on Steam Deck. It's I... so good. <laughs> yeah I, I like it too like i I, get, yeah. I got the steam deck for like working on it and suddenly i like really was like oh my god this device is so great to play on <laughs> yeah so yeah, yeah, I, yeah I also play my... slow crashes a lot on steam deck which is fun yeah i mean like that's my indie machine all the showcase games that like we've been able to play it's all been on steam deck it's been great <laughs> awesome oh <laughs> uh, well johannes thank you again for hanging out with us for a little bit today congratulations on hopefully being in your final year of slow crashers we'll see um yeah, everybody go wishlist slow crashers on Steam. You could get the link on sixfootindie.com slash showcase. If you haven't watched the showcase yet, watch the showcase. What are you doing? There's a bunch of cool games that you should be paying attention to. Uh, I've been Mike. That's been Kyle. Goodbye. Hey, thanks for having me. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>